Strange times for sure. Sportsnet 960, the fan is here for you. No sports, no problem. Pinder and Steinberg continues right now on Sportsnet 960, the fan. Let's get things going on a Wednesday afternoon. Welcome to the program. Pat Steinberg, Peter Klein, Logan Gordon along with you as we continue our stretch of the sports apocalypse and as we continue pandemic radio but we do, uh, we do have some interesting news in the sporting world as we welcome you to the show. Um, it's funny, the conversation we were having yesterday, Kleiner, was about the NHL coming back, and, and you brought up the example of what's happening in Germany and, and positive tests in Germany's uh, top soccer league. Well, the Bundesliga is coming back, and not only are they yep. coming back, they're coming back in nine days. The first game is <laughs> Wednesday, May 15th. So they've had ten positive tests. One team in uh, Cologne had three positive tests for players, yet here they are. They, they're going to start playing games. Matches, I believe, is what they're called. Uh, they're going to start playing games uh, in nine days' time. Now, no fans. They're not going to be having fans in any of the stadiums, but all the teams in both divisions of the Bundesliga, the first and the second division, are going to start playing. And now all of a sudden, major professional sports. And make no mistake, the Bundesliga is a major professional sports. I believe they are number one in the world in terms of average stadium attendance for uh, for soccer. So, like, that is a major, major sport. So when you're talking yeah. about the teams in Berlin and Cologne and Bayern Munich and so on and so forth, it's a big deal, and is a massive, massive test balloon or trial balloon for what the rest of these sports leagues are going to do, whether it's the NHL, the NBA, or anything else. They've had positive tests. They are in a country that has had – they've been ahead of the curve, but they've also had a lot of infections. This is going to be a real interesting case study for the rest of North America's leagues or all of North America's leagues who are trying to get going or trying to restart here. Yeah, and uh, I'm interested that uh, it's just, okay, we had 10 positive tests. What are we going to do about it? Nothing. Okay, cool. Let's roll with it. Um, I'm sure there are a number of precautions being taken, but no, this is definitely going to provide a roadmap now for sports leagues in North America that we're following to see how they're going to come back, uh, see some of the the questions that maybe we haven't even thought about asking uh, as to what they're going to do with that. So, no, this is this is a very big step. Someone was always going to have to be per, uh, first, all due respect to uh, Korean baseball and World Wrestling Entertainment. This is definitely the, the biggest thing that is coming back right now, and it's definitely going to be... It's going to be interesting to see how it goes, and if it works, then I think you're going to see a lot more confidence from Major League Baseball, from the National Hockey League, from the NBA, um, that they're going to be fine to come back, and if it doesn't work, I think there's going to be a lot of trepidation. I'm sure you will hear league figureheads saying that this is just going to be, okay, well, we've learned from their mistakes, and now we're going to do X, Y, and Z. But no, this mm-hmm. is someone was always going to have to be first. So credit to the Bundesliga for doing this. Uh, excited to have major sports back on television. Uh, I believe it's going to be all over Sportsnet uh, once they get going again. So no, this is it's a big step for sure, and yes, one that the, the world is going to be paying attention to. 
It's a good point about Sportsnet. Uh, Sportsnet West, Sportsnet on uh, Sportsnet One, and Sportsnet World are going to have comprehensive coverage of uh, of Bundesliga soccer as soon as it resumes. It's crazy though that they just got word today from the German government and and from Chancellor Merkel. They just got word today that they're able to return and. Nine mm-hmm. days later, we're ready to rock and roll, and that's with positive tests. And and I got to be honest with you, I I believe that that like there's enough big money there, and and I know they're having economic problems, and and the economic issues are a a big reason why they're starting as quickly as they are. But I can't imagine a league as large as Bundesliga is just going to half-ass it and return and not take precautions so that, you know, there's a good chance that all of a sudden they can't finish. Like, I am they're yeah. going to do everything in their power so that they can make sure that they finish and make sure they don't have to all of a sudden have a uh, have, have a truncated season or a canceled season once yeah. they restart. So I, I think this, you're right, will provide a roadmap. And even I, I think the fact that they've had infections and those infections haven't spread like wildfire – I think that's pretty significant because I know that's that's your big worry about the NHL is what happens. Like I'm I'm personally not as worried about infections in the NHL and and all of a sudden an outbreak happening. I'm really not. I, I don't think that that is a major major risk. It's not completely um, invalid or it's not like there's no risk at all. But right. I just I'm not I'm not necessarily worried that we're talking about uh, a huge outbreak that's going to happen on three four NHL teams, knowing how mm-hmm. well they're going to be quarantined. And and here's the German league. They've had three positive cases on one team. I believe ten among the all the people tested in the two leagues. Yeah, I'm I'm really fascinated to see how they're able to come back and and the fact that they've able, been able to have positive tests and still restart is is a really interesting subplot too. Yeah, that, that's the thing that interests me the most about this is that they had positive tests and they're not even doing the full 14-day quarantine that I thought we were all supposed to be doing. I was expecting there to be, okay, we've had these positive tests. Let's give it a couple weeks and just let's let let those things play out and then we'll get going. Um, I'm sure there have been a number of measures taken so that you don't have to deal with the main concern that I'm concerned with um the, the main problem and allow that being, myself uh, to introduce yeah. myself myself yeah i'm on a roll today um but yeah i mean i i'm surprised they're doing it so quickly after we saw some positive tests now maybe they know when those po- they, they certainly would have more information than i would about when those positive tests were and how they're going to handle those things so it's it's fun that there's a league coming back, but now there are a lot of questions to be answered, like what happens if, like I said yesterday, one turns into five, turns into ten, turns into a team. Hopefully we don't have to answer those questions. Hopefully those things how, just get How worried out. about that are you? Like, uh, uh, like, quite honestly, like how, how much of a concern is that for you that that would actually happen? Uh, I'm... Uh, on a scale of one to ten, I'm at like a, a six or a seven, just with how contagious this thing can be. I know that there are going to be a lot of precautions taken, but it just takes one slip up, and then all of a sudden, 
everything starts to get out of whack a little bit. So there is, uh, I think there has to be concern just with how quickly this thing went. You look at the totals and just now with states that are opening up and how we're starting to see a rise in those numbers again, even with a number of precautions being taken. This is going to be not like anything we've seen yet with how isolated these players are going to be. But I still think that there is a risk that if one player gets it, how does it not just spread quickly? I'm I'm not... Like I'm not discounting that. I just, I still feel like the risk of a player getting it is is very, 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 very low. If mm-hmm. we're talking about all the controls that they've been talking about, I, I just don't see how it happens in that respect. Um, I'm yeah. not saying it's impossible. I just think that the chances of it happening are are so low. Um, but at the same time, you can't not have contingencies for it, right? Like you can't not. Um, you can't not have things in place and right. policies and, and such that are going to, you know, be undertaken if that ends up happening. So, yeah, I, th- I think it's something that, that they have to be wary of. It's something they have to plan for. It's something they have to be prepared for. And yet I actually think the actual chances um, the actual chances of it happening are pretty low. Uh, so yeah, I'm I'm not I'm that's that to me is the the least of my worries when it comes to this. It's more okay. the logistics of actually making it happen and getting all the controls in place and uh, making sure that players can get back in. But I think the biggest hurdle for because the thing about Germany is is that okay? Well, it's in one country, right? Bundesliga is all in yes. Germany. There's there's no confirmed. It, it's it's not even like the uh, the Austrian league, which I believe has has a team in Italy and stuff like that. The Austrian hockey league, right? This is all in Germany. So knowing that, I think that we're talking about a whole lot less of an issue about players returning to teams. Whereas when it comes to the NHL, which is uh, a very global league in terms of the players and is split over two countries, that to me is the biggest hurdle they're going to have to have to face is getting players yeah. back to their cities. And it's not just like, for instance, like different countries have had different rules, right? Sweden has done things completely different than we have in North America, and people have differing opinions as to whether or not they've done it better or worse than, than some other places have. But it's been different. You can't deny that. So right. you've got to bring players, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 plus players back from Sweden probably, and then they have to quarantine. And then you've got the whole idea of players who are American, who are like we talked to Derek Ryan last week. Derek Ryan's in Spokane. Well, now he's going to be have to be able to cross the Canadian border to get back to join his teammates, and Canadians are going to have to cross the American border, so on and so forth. That, to me, I don't think it's impossible. I think exemptions are possible. I think exemptions are something that will be talked about as, as the reopening of the economy continues. But that, to me, is the biggest hurdle or mm-hmm. the, the biggest impediment to the NHL returning here. Uh, another concern I would have is something that was brought up with the NBA today um, as they're starting to open practice facilities up again and the, the subject of testing came up. And when we discussed it before, when talking about places like Edmonton and out in Vancouver and even in Ontario, the number of tests doesn't appear to be an issue. But there are still some places in the States where sure. a number of tests are 
definitely a problem. And how many of those are you willing to use based on just getting the National Hockey League back up and going? So it's there are a number of different concerns. And again, overall, definitely want all of this to happen. Uh, I just think there are a lot of steps that need to happen for everything to go absolutely perfect. Yeah, and the the big areas that need to um, be figured out, I think, are south of the border. Um, yeah. I think that we're talking about, like, I, I firmly believe Alberta, Edmonton specifically, knowing how compared to Calgary, there's, there's two metropolises in this province, and one of them has been really hard hit, and yeah. one of them has not been as hard hit. And in saying that, I think that, you know, from a – from an Edmonton standpoint, that would be very feasible to do. The The setup makes it feasible. The fact there aren't a lot of infections in Edmonton makes it feasible. And Alberta's access to tests and the amount that we're testing here and our capacity for testing, I believe Alberta could do it and could do it very, very easily. Um, I also think BC and Ontario, with their capacity of tests, could do it. The problem is, yeah. you're right. There, there's, and and, and, and the, the problem is, is, is self the border it's it's not a unified thing at all. I feel like as as much as provinces are doing things on their own, and and I, I give a big tip of the hat to our provincial leadership with our chief medical officer. I think she's advised our premier extremely well, and 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 I give our premier, uh, Mr. Kenny, uh, a ton of credit for for following what our uh, chief medical officer has recommended. Like I, I think that we've done a really good job in this province, and I think that yeah. uh, after maybe a bit of a delayed. Um, response BC's done a really good job, and and you know, like, and I'm not even trying to get political. Like politically, I don't know whether whether I'm where I'm politically aligned. I just give credit to, and I think I think Premier Ford in Ontario has done a really good job of, of mm-hmm. taking a leadership role. And so, so I think those three places with their um, with their testing capacity could do it, and you could be able to not affect the general population and their access to tests. I just don't know about the rest of the uh, or the United States because right. it's it's such a completely different world down there right now, and uh, different states are doing things completely different than other states. And I, the the testing capacity in in some spots is is way below where it needs to be. So yeah, there, there's there's a lot of issues with the way things are being handled. I think from a testing yeah. standpoint, south the border. So um, I don't know about having hub cities down there. I really don't. And another thing that kind of concerns me a little bit is there seems to be in the States in particular, and I know I'm generalizing now, I mean, there's 300 million people down there. Not everyone has done this, but when things start to open up a little bit, it does kind of feel like give them an inch. They tried to take a mile where, okay, we're starting to open things up again. Awesome. 500 people on a beach. Let's go nuts. And I do wonder as these leagues start to open up again, it's okay. Well, it's cool for the NBA to go out. Let's go get 15 guys together and play pickup basketball. And just little things like that. Like I'm hoping people are mature enough to understand that these are extreme circumstances and these are billion dollar organizations that are taking care of each other, not Rucker Park. You know, like I'm, I'm hoping that these types of situations don't lead to people getting a little bit crazy with this. Like, I hope it doesn't go from, okay, hockey's back. Cool. Let's fill up a pub and go watch it. I, I just, I hope people can well, be yeah, mature but I mean, enough there's, to deal with it. How are you going to do that? Like, they're, they're, you're oh, not no, for able sure. to like, do that, that's, right? Like, there's... I, I'm not, I'm not going to say shut down everything just because people are idiots and we'd never get anything going again. Uh, it, it's just, it's, it's a minor concern. But on top of that, like, you're not going to be able to fill up pubs. Like, the despite the, like, the pro sports coming back doesn't change 
provincial and and municipal regulations, right? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, they're reopening on May 14th, but they're reopening restaurants and pubs at 50% capacity, right? They're, they're, and that's yeah. going to be strictly enforced. So you're not going to have to worry about filling up a pub. And, and you know, I, that – and I, I don't – I don't think that your concerns are invalid at all. I really don't. I just, how much of that, like, is is that the fault of pro sports or are people going to no, fall no, it's not. And, you, know, and you know what I'm saying? Like I said, like, you, you can't you can't just keep everything shut down for forever because everyone's just in a panic to get back. Like I, yeah. I fully understand it. It's just it, it's very far down on my list of concerns. It was just something. Do you, know, you just like? Something. Okay, you've you've brought up a lot of concerns. I, I I think that you know even when when Pinder was still on the show and and since being fired and and um, being uh, mm-hmm. relieved of his duties somebody asked on the text line where Pinder is Pinder's on mornings for the time being it's uh, Klein and Steinberg on uh, on your afternoon show with uh, Logan Gordon back at Sportsnet 960 World Control uh, this is the trio on your afternoon for the time being um, but I, throughout throughout the last number of weeks and months I think of, of Pinder and I have been a little bit more rosy or a little bit more optimistic on the thought of the NHL coming back where um, where like, does anything give you any optimism on this front? Like, are, are you optimistic at all when it comes to um, the NHL coming back? And I'm not, I'm not trying to, that's, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth at all. I'm not. Uh, right. I saw, I saw your little smirk on, uh, on Instagram <laughs> live, but no, like where, where is your optimism level? You've raised a lot of concerns. Is there anything that gives you hope or, or encouragement about this conversation? Uh, I, I do. <laughs> it's funny just listening back to the shows the last couple of days. Like, well, I am a lot more negative than I thought. Cause overall I'm feeling pretty good about how things are going. And just in general, it does seem like people are starting to get a, a pretty good grasp on things. Um, so yes, like I do have a bit of optimism in just that it seems like most of the world has figured this thing out. When you see beaches being crowded and stuff like that, it's definitely a vocal minority. I think for the majority of people, they're handling this thing as well as you could possibly handle a global pandemic that was just thrown at us. And because of that, I do have optimism that this thing is going to turn around and we will get things figured out and there will eventually be uh, a back to normal. So just the overall, I guess, handling of this whole situation is what gives me optimism that we will get stuff back to normal. I just don't, I, I think there are, it's not just 100% like, oh, yeah, no, it's just, we'll be good. There there are a couple things you do have to watch out for. No, no, and no doubt. So where, like, what's your, if you were to put money on, if you were to go black or red, you got roulette table, you've, you've been given a $25 chip at uh, at the casino, assuming casinos were open, they're not. But So you're, you're, <laughs> you're playing online, um, and you've got a $25 chip, and red is the NHL comes back this summer, and black is the NHL does not come back this summer. Where Where is your chip going? Uh, I would say that the NHL is coming back this summer. Yeah, yeah. I, I would say so. That was the red one, I guess. Uh, so yeah, I, I would I, I would bet on red in, in that case. Yeah. When when Wes Gilbertson joined us earlier this week, he he made a really good point, and and his point was essentially that with the NHL, where there's smoke, there's fire, and there's enough smoke when it comes to this thing that. They're probably going to try to move heaven and earth to make this happen. Even Chris Johnston said yeah. they're, yesterday they're prepared to wait as as long as they possibly can to um, to make sure that this is is going to go through. So, yeah, yeah I, they would wait till September was quite the oh 
Okay. Well, he said like I, they I might even not start next season until January and play a reduced yeah. schedule and and kind of make next year like a a lockout shortened season and like there's it's it's a I can't even imagine the conversations that are being had right now behind closed doors. Like what oh. what do Gary Bettman and Bill Daly like how many different scenarios have they planned through and and yeah. how many different things do they have ready to go? I, I think that whole thing is fascinating. Um. Welcome to Pinder and Steinberg on a Wednesday afternoon. Uh, we've got Pat Steinberg, Peter Klein, Logan Gordon along with you on a Wednesday. Here's what is coming up on the program today. we got a nice jam-packed show for you. Uh, 2.30, Calgary Flames Assistant General Manager Brad Pascal is going to join us. Uh, we'll talk a little Flames with Pascal, but uh, I just want to talk about, like, he has had maybe one of the most fascinating careers in, in hockey management. Think about where he was before he joined the Calgary Flames and this current management group, because I believe it was 2014 when the management group of Trey Living, uh, he would who had only been hired as GM a few weeks earlier. Trey Living announced Craig Conroy and Brad Pascal as his two AGMs. Before that, Pascal was working in the international realm and doing things with Hockey Canada and World Juniors and, and Olympics, like fascinating career so that's what i want to get into a little bit more mm-hmm. with with pascal he's going to join us at 2 30 3 o'clock calgary stampeders d-line coach Corey mace is going to join us and at 3 30 our uh, wednesday regular chat with jeff snyder a little wild card wednesday at four o'clock we're on instagram live on a wednesday you can always uh, catch at least for the time being you can catch the first segment of uh pinder and steinberg on ig live uh, we do it uh, on uh, my Instagram, Steinberg1984. Uh, Klein's at Primetime Klein. So uh, come on in um, and uh, follow along if you uh, want to see our ugly mugs. Kleiner is rocking a very interesting look today. Like, it is a look that you've got going today. Um, you've got the 1960s um, Beatles in Hamburg type hair going like you could easily yeah. be uh part of the monkeys like if they were to do a monkeys remake i think you would be very much uh top of mind to be cast so mm-hmm. you've got that hair I going. Appreciate that. thank you i think it looks good uh and then tell us <laughs> no, about you the jersey you're wearing today uh it is the uh the retro style with the the purple with the pinstripes and the uh the big dinosaur on the front uh, and it's a uh, Pascal Siakam. So the the very first Raptor jerseys they had, it's the white one with the pinstripes and a uh, nice little. Now, how many times have they us? worn yeah. that since Siakam has has been a Raptor? A few, probably yeah, double digits, probably like they, seven they, or eight they, times, a little more. Yeah, than that. they bring a bring it back, change the court up for the the night. So yeah, they they've had it. Um, a couple years ago, it was the all purple one. So this one in particular, probably only a couple, but they they brought but the, the retro uh, the idea. Ones back. Yeah. yeah. What. Do you have like what's your oldest Raptors jersey? Because you've been a dialed-in Raptors fan since the nineties, mm-hmm. since they were a team. Yeah, my oldest Raptors jersey. Do you have a Stoudemire? Is a, uh, not a Stoudemire. No, I have a uh, all-purple Morris Peterson jersey. That's uh, that's Mo probably P. the oldest one that I have. Very yeah, good. Very good. It was it was on a discount rack at a sport check in Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan. Um, so that was yeah. It was that they have one. sport I, checks in Moose Jaw. Uh, to say sport checks would be a bit of a bit one. of a stretch. They they have sport check in Musha, yeah. Is Saskatchewan um, like is Saskatchewan like Alberta where every small no. town has um has you know that there's one thing that you're gonna find in every small town, probably two things. You've got a Tim Hortons, of course, 
and then you've yep. got an A and W. Are those like yeah. staples of Saskatchewan small towns too? Um, I don't know about the Tim Hortons. My my hometown did not have a Tim Hortons. Uh, we had twenty five hundred people and no Tim Hortons. So uh, I, I don't think did it's it have an A and W. We just got an A and W a couple years ago. Uh, okay. So that's the, the the subway has been kind of the staple, and the the subway seems to be more the small town fast food chain for a lot of places. Just noticing that from basketball trips when I was in high school and stuff, it was it was mainly more subway than A and W. Interesting, because I mean, like you go anywhere in Alberta, like you drive through um, any of the smaller towns on like Highway Three. Um, there's or, or uh, even an, if you're if you're going north on Highway Two, or like everywhere has got an A and W, like Fernie A and W, Crow's Nest Pass A and W, like it doesn't matter where you go, a Soyuz A and W, like everywhere you go has got an A and W. That's the one thing that you know um, more than anything else. Uh, a couple of texts at nine six zero nine six zero. By the way, uh, you can always follow along IG Live Steinberg nineteen eighty four uh, and Primetime Klein if you want to watch these two idiots do the first segment of the show. Um, Klein is right. Subways are everywhere in small towns. That's a good point. Um, I'm trying to think. In Nanton, is there an A&W in Nanton? I know there's a subway in Nanton. So subway might be the uh, might be actually ahead of A&W in terms of the staple of small towns. Uh, every small town in Alberta has an outdoor rink and a liquor store. No doubt about that. Uh, somebody my suggested the has, name. Uh, sorry, my hometown has has an outdoor rink and has four liquor stores. Yeah. <laughs> Four. But no no Tim Hortons. No Tim Hortons. No, you have to drive an hour for uh, a Tim Hortons and a Big Mac. But you can get you can get pink Whitney's, but uh, no no double double. That's unbelievable. Um Kleinberg in the afternoon. That uh, could be a, a name for the show that somebody suggested. That's not bad. Um No, I mean, why not? I don't know if Kirsch will be on top of that, but uh, Absolutely you know, he won't be. He'd hate that. Yep. And then on the uh, thought of uh, the NHL restarting, a couple of texts uh, that weren't calling us idiots. Um, pro athletes crossing the border is probably the smallest problem the NHL will encounter. It can be changed with the stroke of a pen. Very true. And, again, that's why I think exemptions would need to come. And I think there's a good chance exemptions would come. Uh, somebody yeah. suggests for social distancing you're going to need six-foot-long towels for towel snaps in the shower. <laughs> It's a good very point. Important. Very important. That's really important. If you're going to do towels, ah, just uh, Brian Leslie's still here. I know Will's here, so he'll like this. Ah, just uh, snapping towels. Um, so the, the, the towels would need to be six feet long. Um, and somebody makes a very good point. You guys just like saying Bundesliga. It's a good point. It's Fair. a fun word to Absolutely. say. Bundesliga. Yeah. I think that we should keep on. I hope that it stays so that we can keep on talking about it. By the I way, hope we bring it on the air. I, I hope we broadcast games on the radio so that I, I would absolutely host just so I could say Bundesliga. I am loving KBO, by the way. Uh, that link. Oh, yeah. Like watching KBO is the best. You're just like, oh, there's a close game. Click on the game. HD, full screen. It's unbelievable. KBO baseball, nice. I am dialed in. I've yet to choose a team, but I am dialed in on KBO baseball. I'm so starved. I'm the only one of our station who is self-isolating totally alone. So, like, it, right. it goes a little it goes a little crazy. Like, Kirsch today is like, ah, I need you to take holidays sometime. And, man, like, do you realize what this show d- means for me? Is the only this is the only time I talk to people is when right. I'm uh, I'm doing this show. So I'm the only human I, you've seen in months. Well, Pender, <laughs> I, we we did the Instagram live with Pender I did and, say and, and, yeah. and Logan. So uh, you're the best one that I've seen. 
or Logan. You, you and Logan tied. Uh, let's do this. We'll take a break. When we come back, Calgary Flames Assistant General Manager Brad Pascal, about two minutes away. Pinder and Steinberg's underway on a Wednesday afternoon. Sportsnet 960, the fan. Pinder and Steinberg in the afternoon. Sportsnet 960, the fan. Let's say hello to Calgary Flames Assistant General Manager Brad Paschal, who joins us on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. See what Mr. Paschal has been up for the last seven or eight weeks. Brad, how are you, my friend? What's going on? Things are very good, gentlemen. Hope you guys are doing well and staying healthy. And uh, but yeah, we're doing uh, we're doing real good. The one thing that I have always said about the uh, Calgary Flames management group, especially after what you just said right there, all, all three, all four of you guys, Snowy, Tree, Conroy, and you, just all a bunch of jerks. You guys are just the worst. Yeah, I know. We're hard to put up with. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, how uh, do you do? You miss? Do you miss us? In the like, I would imagine you miss being around the players. You miss being around the guys that you see all the time. Do you miss us in the media yet? Of course, of course. Yeah, then we get to talk hockey, and uh, we get to talk about real live hockey, and that is what we all miss. But obviously, there's bigger and more important things going on, and we're hopeful that one day we'll get back here, hopefully sooner or later. But yeah, of course, we miss we miss talking about the day to day workings of the hockey world and the and the Calgary Flames. So, um, but I'm glad you guys are doing good, and good to talk to you and talk hockey right now. What uh, and, and it's good to have you. Really do appreciate the time. What what is life looking like right now? Like how how is an AGM in in an NHL organization going about uh, his business life on a day to day basis right now? What's take us take us inside your at home war room? Yeah, well, you know what it is. Uh... There's lots going on, and in saying that, it's it's a lot of planning. I mean, we're 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 planning for the unknown. So, um, you know, we talk about Zoom calls and WebEx calls. We use WebEx, but you know, we're constantly on those for for a variety of reasons with our own staff, with our pro scouts, with our amateur scouts. Um, so, just to give you a little bit of sense. We were on the phone four hours with our amateur scouts and. And just doing draft preparation work and, and, you know, going through our lists and going through our evaluations. And they've been tasked since the pause of going through, reviewing, um, doing interviews with players, uh, gathering info, watching games online, uh, re-watching games that they've seen, and really just taking a deep dive into our list. So that, you know, that's keeping us busy. And, and you know, planning is the key, right? So it's NHL draft. There's going to be one. The question is, is when is it going to be? Is it going to be in June? Is it going to be later? Um, you know, lots of discussion is going to take place in June. We just don't know. There's so many unknowns in mm-hmm. the, the hockey world that's going on right now. And, uh, and the draft's one of them. So, hey, a little bit of insight is planning is probably the biggest thing. Um, NHL draft, uh, NHL free agency, return to play for the NHL season. Uh, the fate of the American Hockey League season. So lots going on and, and uh, um, you know, looking to plan already 20, 2011 as well. So You kind of have to make sure that you're prepared for a little bit of everything, right? Like you have no idea what is going to happen on any of these fronts, AHL, draft, when the season's going to restart. You kind of have to, because you'll, you'll probably get word and then all of a sudden you got to be going uh, going down that road you kind of have to have things planned out on a, on a number of different branches i would think 
Yeah, for sure, Pat. And that's, you know, the big thing for us is communication and, and um, you know, regular communication amongst our group management and hockey operations and coaches and, but with our players as well, players and our support staff, you know, it's, it's so many questions and so many unknowns, but it's just that regular communication of any tidbits we have and making sure that, that everybody's still engaged, you know, from the player standpoint, still working out as, as best they can, obviously they can't go skating and what have you right now, but, you know, keeping in shape for a return to play and, and keeping them motivated of, of, you know, finishing the book of the season. And, and um, you know, if, if we get there, you know, it's, it's just having those preparations of, you know, the coaches looking at our game plan and how they might tweak things on the return to play. And, you know, if we went into a playoff format, who we might be playing and start watching those games and, and looking at strategy and, and those types of things. So we, that's what we've been spending our time on as a group is, is, is trying to deal with the unknown, but, you know, knowing that there's going to be a semblance of order here eventually and, and making sure that we're the best prepared team in the NHL. What, uh, cause you know, you, the, the management group all comes together and, and works on the, the NHL team, but also has kind of some individual responsibilities. And, and over the last number of years, one of those large responsibilities for you has been the American league team in Stockton. So how, how busy have, have goings on with the heat been for you? What, what has that been like the last number of weeks? Well, you know, it's the AHL season is on a pause right now and, you know, we, we have another AHL board of directors call on Friday and maybe, you know, pro- provide a little bit more clarity on the direction that the league is going for the 1920 season, sorry. But, hey, the day-to-day workings is no different than the NHL. It's, it's you know, regular communication with the coaches. They have weekly calls down there, and, and they have calls with our NHL coaches of, of exchanging ideas and, and uh, some professional development almost in some ways. And uh, and the same thing, keeping in touch with the players and, and just finding out what they're doing, making sure that they're staying healthy and, and checking in on them and their families. So that, that's been a big part of it. Um, but, again, you're dealing with the unknown. And, you know, we, we, we've done a few signings uh, down there. We signed three defensemen on American League deals for next mm-hmm. season, you know, an area of, of uh, that we had needed to add some depth. And, you know, that's, that's something they're looking at had free agents already potential free agents in the summertime for depth for the organization and American league contracts. And, and even some of our players that are up for contracts is starting to look at that and, and, you know, formulate plans on. It's funny. You, you bring that up about the, the depth that you've added defensively in Stockton. I mean, you take a look at the players that you've added in free agency, the two college free agent signings, including a uh, former fellow UND grad in, in Mr. Pullman. You've got, uh, uh, I know that um, Shinval isn't going to be coming over for next season, but there's another player you've added. You've added some players uh, on AHL only deals in Stockton. Like that's going to be, that's going to be quite the competitive blue line you've got with the heat next season. Well, for sure. And if you, Hey, if you just take a step back and even by adding these players, like, still have some defensive depth holes to fill you know and uh you know so i don't like that that we've stopped of of filling spots quite honestly but it's it was an area of focus i mean organizationally you look we had to add to our reserve list in the position of defense we had some great young players that you know valamaki anderson shillington those players that have you know graduated up and 
you know, since uh, since Valimaki, we haven't drafted a defenseman. So we don't have a lot of defensemen coming mm-hmm. right now in the pipeline in that area. So it was important for us to replenish our reserve list, if, if you will, in the way of Poolman and Connor Mackey and, and Shinval for, uh, although he'll be back in Sweden, as you mentioned, but for the following season. And then, and then filling it with some, some other defensive depth in the American League. Um, you know, it was important to us. So that was an area of focus for us. And, and you know, we're real happy bringing those players into the organization and have our development team uh, work closely with them and, and uh, hopefully develop them into NHL players and NHL regulars is the goal for, for any of these signings. I, the, I'm, I'm curious as to the, the process of going about an AHL only deal because, you know, we're, we're so focused on, on unrestricted free agency in the NHL and, and building that team, but you're also building an American League team. You added Greg Morrow, uh, Noah King, Coltrane Wilson, all to uh, AHL deals, and th- those are guys that you're expecting to, you know, be big parts of the Heat next year. So tell us about identifying and going about the AHL signing route and, and how you go about identifying players that you think would be a good fit with the Flames organization and a good fit in Stockton. Yes, I mean, it's a task that we put out to our, our pro scouts, our amateur scouts, our European scouts, and, and our college scouts. And then, you know, as a management group, as we're out watching players, you know, watching the WHL or OHL or college hockey, you know, as part of it, you're looking for, hey, who's the top the draft eligible guy? But, you know, in, in, college, in college players, who's the senior out there that's not drafted that might not be a top college free agent? meaning not an NHL contract that we like and players that we like that, you know, that can fill that defense or fill a, a um, an American league role. Um, but more importantly, players that we think that can grow into, uh, into NHL players. I and mean, you look at a Ryan Lomberg, for instance, you know, players that we've done, uh, Garnet Hathaway signed to American league deal, and then flip them over to NHL mm-hmm. deals. You know, these types of players that, you know, they're good players and sometimes overlooked sometimes that are, you know, blossom in different situations and different organization or in the pro game versus a college or junior game. And, and uh, you know, so you try to project and you take a swing at the plate, quite honestly, of, of players that have um, that fit a certain need for you and uh, the players that our scouting staff or our management staff like. And, and uh, you know, there's players out there that can be NHL players and the list goes on and on. And those are just a couple of recent guys that, you know, have gone through our system that, that have turned out to play in the NHL. In conversation with Calgary Flames AGM Brad Pascal joining us on Pinder and Steinberg this afternoon, Mr. Klein. Uh, Brad, you guys, you, you talk about that there's a, an organizational need for defensemen that you guys fill with a few of these signings. Was it important to do some of these so that when you go into the draft, you're not necessarily looking at a big organizational hole and, and can just mainly focus on, on best player available, or are the two not really linked? Yeah, not Related from a draft standpoint, I mean, you know, we're always we're always going to look to add good players and players that we like, and and as I mentioned before, like you know, we're still looking to you know to, to discuss and fill you know spots in our blue line on the NHL and in the American League and, and organizational depth, and you know, right wings another one too. So you know, th- those conversations are are ongoing and and. Um, you know, as it as it pertains to the draft, I think we've proved it over the last number of years. Is is when our number comes up, we're, we're out to take the best player available, and, and 
in our collective opinion with our amateur scouts and our management group. And, and uh, you know, you, you look at positional needs, but you, you look to take the best player. That's, that's kind of been our mantra the last little while. Um, but, the, you know, the reason of the timing of, of some of these signings that we did in the American League or even a shin ball or what have you is, you know, it's, it's, it's either pressure that, that, hey, you're one of 15 teams that are, that are in on it and the player's ready to make a decision. Um, you know, quite honestly, that seems to be a lot of it. And, uh, you know, or it's, it's, you know, why not now? If we like the player and we want to dive into his, his development and start his development curve as soon as possible, even in the situation we're in, it's, uh, you know, why wait and, 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 and continue that development or start that as far as the draft is concerned, we don't know when it's going to be or what it's going to look like. We just know it's not going to be like anything we've seen, at least for a long time anyway. Uh, a couple leagues have already had drafts with the NFL and the, the CFL having drafts. Is there anything you can take from how teams have handled those and, and learn from those experiences? Well, we, we, we watch those closely. And, uh, I mean, partially as fans and then partially as, uh, as you know, how is the NHL going to do this and how does this affect us? So we watch those closely. We've talked to a number of people, you know, case in point in the national or the NFL, we, you know, we, we have contacts with various teams in the management capacity and coach capacity that we've reached out and, and said, how was it? And what did you do? What would you do different? And, and just to get some feedback for our own preparation, and, and obviously that you know, the, hey, as a league, the NHL is is well versed in in those relationships and and the inner workings of what happened and, and exchanging best practices. So, um, you, you know, it's it's an interest level too. It's like, hey, we've never done this before. Like, how are we going to do this? And how is it going to look? And if you're just a consumer watching on TV, how does it look? But for us. If we're spread out across North America and Europe with all of our amateur scouts, you know, how does that's why I think, as I mentioned off the top, the preparation now of, of doing the insight and getting our list tight um, and being ready to go is uh, is paramount right now. The, the draft has been a, a big time for player movement and a lot of wheeling and dealing as well. Um, that that could be a lot different with this year's draft, but without getting too much into specifics, I mean, unless you want to, um, how, how much are teams communicating with each other right now? Or is it just with your own squad figuring out how to get through one day to the next? Yeah, I mean, I, it, uh, quite honestly, we, you know, I, I talked to a lot of the assistant managers across the league and, uh, you know, a lot of it's just checking in how we're doing and, and what have you. Not, you know, at, at that level, there hasn't been a lot of discussion on, hey, you know, player moves and, and looking at contractual things. You know, Brad Shalevin is, in, you know, at, at the general manager level and Don Maloney, I know he's had a lot of discussions with, with you know, various teams. But a lot of that is friendships and checking in and, and what have you. So, you know, everybody's in the same boat right now and, and you're just trying to figure out, hey, what, what does tomorrow bring and is there going to be new information that comes tomorrow? And that's, you know, other than being prepared and try to plan the best you can, that's that's a lot of what the discussion is right now across the league. You've worn quite a few hats uh, in your career and one of them um, working with Hockey Canada. This would be a, a big time with the World Hockey Championships and things of that nature going on. How how do you think things are going with them, with this situation right now? Because this was a big time of year, obviously. 
Yeah, I talked to a few people there, and, and you know, yeah, they, on the international stage, you know, it's the Olympic Games and the, and the World Championship, and you know, in the World Cup of Hockey. I mean, those, those are those are big events, and not only for Canadians, but for you know, for other countries, especially the European Union and the European countries. So, yeah, I disappointed, but everybody's in the same boat as I mentioned. I, I don't think there's any surprise that that the IHF World Championship isn't happening this year, or the or the Women's World Championship you know, disappointing for those athletes as well. So it's, um, you know, I, I think it's, it's, it's not a surprise as I mentioned. And, you know, I think they, they have to focus on, on what, what they can control in order for them than us. And, um, you know, there's going to be a rebound and world championships are going to take place. NHL hockey is going to continue. You know, it's just, uh, it's just ensuring that, that the right things happen in the world right now. And, and uh, we're no different. Chat with Brad Pascal here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. I'm Peter Klein, and he's Pat Steinberg. Uh, Brad, it's, it's funny. Pete asked you about kind of the the many different hats you've worn since uh, transitioning into a management role. Like going on six years now since you've joined the Flames organization after a long stretch at Hockey Canada. Like it's pretty it's pretty amazing how time flies, hey? Yeah, definitely. It's it's. Uh... Yeah, six years. I know. I've thought about that, and it, it's 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 been a great transition for me. I, I mean, it's it's six years, so it's not like it's six months ago. But um, you know, having the opportunity to to work with with Bradshaw Levin hand in hand, and and Don and Craig and Chris and 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 all of our staff. I mean, it's it's been great. There's my first year or two. It's a learning. It's uh, you know, it's 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 different than than planning Olympic games and working with an Olympic management group of, of the best players. You know, it's an ongoing process in the NHL and, you know, one that I've, that I've really enjoyed and, and uh, getting to work with great people. And, um, you know, we, you're, you're building towards, you know, having a, having a winning culture and a winning organization and ultimately winning a Stanley cup. So, you know, we're going to continue that focus. And that's, that's the thing that excites me the most is, is, uh, you know, working towards that end goal and, and day in and day out how we can get better. And and it's a little bit of a cliche, but that's that's literally, you know, when we have staff meetings every day with, with Brad Sheldon, it's it's getting better. How do we get better? How do we get mm-hmm. better today or tomorrow? And, and that's, and that's uh, you know, that's what it is. So that's that's the most exciting thing for me over these last six years and, and hopefully be at least another six uh, moving forward. Well, and, and for those who are not totally familiar with, with your background, you, you joined the Calgary Flames in, in the summer of 2014 after a long stint at Hockey Canada. So you you were, you were played UND, and then you had your pro hockey career and, and played for a few different teams in the American League and the ECHL, and then, and then kind of made the decision to finish the career and transition into management. So when would that have been? Like when you finished your career in 95 – but when did you decide that management was going to be the next step? Well, I, as a young guy, geez, we're talking about a long time ago now. But as a guy, you know, finishing playing pro hockey, it, hey, I, I always wanted to work in, in hockey. And I think, you know, most fans of hockey or hockey players, I mean, it'd be great to continue in the game and, and, and what have you. So, you know, I was fortunate to start working at Hockey Canada right after I was done and moved back to my home city of Vancouver and, and, you know, got a job with the Canucks and Hockey Canada and running development programs all across 
the province of British Columbia. And then from there, just, you know, eventually moved to Calgary where Hockey Canada's head office was and, and started a variety of roles in public relations, communications, and, and then on to hockey operations for the last, I guess, eight or nine years I was at Hockey Canada. And, and uh, yeah, it was, it, I mean, it was a great transition for me. Not everybody can do it. Um, not that people aren't able, but just having that opportunity where things mm-hmm. line up and there's a position that fit that, you know, obviously that there was a marriage there and, uh, and that worked really well for me. And, um, yeah, number one to work in hockey and then, and then be, you know, working with high performance athletes and NHL players and working with the best of the best, you know, I got to work with Wayne Gretzky and Steve Eiserman and Kevin Lowe and the list goes on and on of, of, you know, some great people to learn from along the way. And, uh, you know, I think that's, that gave me that extra experience and those relationships across the league with, with other management guys and coaches and agents and, and uh, you know, brings you to that level. Well, and, and it's cause I, I, I first was introduced to you um, by, by Rob Kerr. And, and at the time you were doing media relations and PR for hockey Canada. So at the time I just knew you as the guy that uh, when Rob <laughs> wants a guest, I'd, I'd fire you an email or give you a call and, and see if you could help us out. And, and so when you made the move to, uh, hockey operations with Hockey Canada. You know, I, I wasn't aware of your backstory, and that's when Rob filled me in. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, like he was doing PR and media relations, but this guy's got a huge hockey background, uh, which which I, I always found that part the, the most interesting side. Like you started doing hockey-related things and then moved into PR and media relations and then back into hockey ops. Tell us about tell us about that transition and, and how you were able to first make the jump into PR and then get back into hockey ops. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one hand in hand a little bit. It's, you know, back in the day when I was at Hakken, it was a smaller shop where we, you know, Bob Nicholson was the president, myself, and, and, you know, our our staff was a lot smaller. So people wore, you know, a variety of hats. And, you know, a lot of my time was spent in in day-to-day communications. But, you know, the other 75% was with, national teams day in and day out and so a lot of it just kind of blended together of you know you were you were kind of a jack of all trades not just myself but everybody where you know you were doing you know team services communications hockey operations helping select teams watching players and so a lot of it just blended all together quite honestly and then you know different different opportunities arise and they look to expand and and, you know, all of a sudden your path changes a little bit towards, in my case, more towards hockey operations where, um, you know, it wasn't foreign to me by any means. And, and then, you know, something that I, I really enjoyed and, and ultimately would like to say that I've been excelling in for the last number of years as well with, with various experiences. And, you know, the most important thing for me is, is winning and, um, you know, being a part of Olympic gold medal teams and, you know, five world junior championships and, you know, world hockey championships, world cups. I mean, being a part of that, working with great players and great staff, I mean, those, those experiences rub off on you and, and the people you meet and, and, uh, you know, anytime you can have winning on your resume, in my opinion, is a, is a strong suit. So something I'm real proud of and, and, uh, you know, continue to, to work towards the ultimate championship of Stanley Cup here with the Flames. So what was, cause I mean, that that's kind of the the only thing missing from from the Pascal resume when you think think of 
Olympic gold and world championship gold and uh, women's world championship gold and, and world junior gold. Like it, it was pretty, it was a pretty successful run at hockey Canada, but you're doing it at all different levels. And you're like, that's, that's gotta be like here. You're, you're working on AHL and NHL teams, but at that you're looking at under 20, you're looking at world championship, which is a different challenge than a true best on best, like the Olympics, that, that, that type of variety, once you were working in hockey ops, might have must have been must have been pretty uh, pretty invigorating. Yeah, no question. Yeah, it's it's it, it, like I said, the variety was always there with hockey, and, and you know whether we're, we're hosting events or we're working with different teams. Literally, you'd be you know just closing the book on the Olympic Games in Vancouver, uh, gold medal, and ordering rings, and 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 then. <laughs> A month later, you're on the plane to to uh, you know the Czech Republic and building your team for the for the world world hockey championship. You know, so it's it it, it's, it was uh, it was something that was always on a continuum continuum and always on a on to the next thing and and, and uh, you know keep having success and and, and that was uh, it was good. It was good having that variety. There was no question. What uh, so? What was your first? major international tournament that you were on the hockey ops side for? Uh, from, well, my fir- my first gold medal with Hockey Canada was the 2002 Olympics in Salt Lake. And then from the hockey operations side, it was the World Junior Championship. And I believe that was in 2000 and I have to think here, 2007 okay. was the World Junior Championship. So, I mean, from 2000, so, so like, think about some of the places that you got to be in the building for, like you, you were there in 2010 for Crosby's golden goal and, and some of those incredible world junior memories. Like you, you, you've been in the building for all of them. Fortunately. Yes, it was good. And that's, I mean, at the end of the day, you're not, you're not shooting the puck in the goal and you're not on the, on the bench, but you know, in that role, you're just trying to provide, Hey, what's the best, environment for success at that point you could put the players in and uh and you know we felt we did a good job with that and and you know more importantly we felt that we had great players that you know and and great coaching staff that could take us to the finish line what was what was like can you think of one like most tense moment because you're right i mean you talk to gms agms around hockey it's like okay we put the team together and and we sign the players and we build the team but you know, at that point, especially once you get into the, the games that mean the most, it's kind of out of your hand. You just have to sit there and watch. You've got as much control as, as me or somebody listening does. So what do you, is, has there been a, a top tense moment where you're just like, holy cow, I, I can barely sit still here? Well, yeah, it's funny. You get, not to downplay, you get a little bit uh, not jaded, but you, you – you know, at at first I'd be bouncing off the walls with every play and living and dying by every play, and then you get you get desensitized a little bit, be just <laughs> so big. And you know, you look at the World Junior shootout where John and Matias scores three in a row. I mean, that's that was something else. And um, but probably the most was you know going into overtime in the Vancouver Olympic gold medal game. You know, I mean that was can't really get much more pressure than that in some ways, but you know, anytime you're representing Canada, it's, it's, you're in a pressure environment. And, and, you know, a lot, a lot of those teams, it's funny. It's, you're thrilled to win, but at the end of the day, you know, if you ask the players and coaches and, and me being involved in management, it's, it's more of a relief 
it's of course you're celebrating, you're excited, but you know the expectations are to win everything and uh, um, and to win all the time. So, and quite honestly, a lot of it's a relief. You're you're just oh thank goodness we won and uh, not having to deal with the aftermath of not winning. And that's yeah. just part of being Canadian and part of uh, you know being in that environment. Well, and I'm sure it's probably not all that different at the NHL level either. The expectations are to win and to be in the playoffs and all that type of stuff. It's a good way of putting it. It's more like a relief as opposed to your celebrating. It's like, okay, we, we, we did what we set out for. I, it's, uh, I've never heard it uh, quite um, quite broken down like that. That's an interesting way of putting it. Well, we'll, yeah. we'll let you go, my friend. Uh, I appreciate the time today. Thank you so much for spending with us. I'm glad that uh, you and the family are doing well. Hopefully we're able to start talking about real hockey with you in uh, the very near future. But it's good to catch up with you, Mr. Pascal. Thanks for doing this today. Stay safe, stay healthy, and uh, we'll see you as soon as humanly possible. Thanks, gentlemen. Thanks for having me. And, and uh, stay safe and look forward to chatting soon. Thanks, Brad. That's uh, Brad Pascal, Calgary Flames Assistant General Manager, joining us on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. The bar may be closed to patrons during these trying times, but they are open for business. Pickup or delivery is available by calling 403-248-3344. That's 248-3344. From Brad Pascal, AGM of the Calgary Flames, to Corey Mace, D-line coach of the Calgary Stampeders. He joins us next on Pinder and Steinberg, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Calgary guys talking Calgary sports. Pinder and Steinberg are only on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. First opportunity we've had since the pandemic began to catch up with our next guest. It's uh, always good to chat with the one and only Corey Mace, D-line coach of the Calgary Stampeders, joins us this afternoon on the program. It's uh, Pat Steinberg and Peter Klein along with you. Mr. Mace, what is going on, my friend? Good afternoon, fellas. How are we how are we doing this evening? Or afternoon. Good. Good <laughs> yeah, COVID all right. baby. I'm all I'm all mixed up, bro. It's always uh it's always the evening. What's uh what's life look like for you, Mr. Mace? How are uh how are things coming along? How are you staying sane and uh how are you trying to keep your mind focused on football? Uh, yeah, well, you know, I mean the one uh, I guess positive uh you know for us over with the stamps is, you know, as coaches, we're still, we're still hammering away at uh, the computer watching film. And, you know, we just had the draft and, um, you know, we're still looking at our free agent guys and, you know, now we're trying to set up everything just, uh, you know, online to see if we can get in contact and set up uh, meetings and stuff just to keep it interactive. So hopefully we hit the ground running when we get the thumbs up. But uh, other than that, just hanging with my girls here at the house, uh, catching up on some, some shows, you know, that I haven't watched before, um, and obviously the Last Dance, you know, that's that's the key. What uh, what are some of the other than the Last Dance? What what are some of the shows that you uh, have never seen before that you have been introduced to? Yeah, well, yeah, I'm pretty much going to embarrass myself here. We've never watched The Wire, uh, okay. never watched Game of Thrones, never watched Son of Anarchy, never watched so all the main ones. <laughs> haven't watched it, but we crushed Curb Your Enthusiasm. And uh, I'm on the second season of Billions as well. So, I mean, you know, I'm picking some good shows. We just got we got a lot of work to do, man. How, uh, like, have, have you started The Wire yet? Or is that on the list of still to do? You know, it's crazy. Watched the first episode last night of season one. So I, I could, I totally get it. I'm in. So it's going to take me some time, but I'm going to get it done. Some of the greatest the television I've I might not get seen. it done before quarantine's over, but I'm going to get it done before the year's up. That's my goal. 
Did you like when, when you were playing south the border? Like, did you did you spend much time in Baltimore? Like, have you have you do you know do you know much about the city at all? Yeah, I, I, I went to Baltimore one time. Um, I had a great time. Uh, I, I didn't obviously watch the wire, so I didn't know. And only thing I knew about Baltimore was Carmelo Anthony. Uh, you know, I had a teammate that was from the area, so we all went down and had a good little weekend. But uh, there was definitely nothing that I saw that made me raise any eyebrows. Um, now that I'm watching it, though, you know, you see certainly that the, there's definitely parts of that city that, uh, you know, you find in other major cities as well that yeah. you just kind of want to be cognizant of before you just casually stroll around. <laughs> apparently, it's like as as a real – apparently people, like, praised it and said it was, like, as realistic as you're, you're possibly going to get about a major U.S. city in the war on drugs. I love The Wire, one of the, the greatest television series that's ever been done, so I'm glad. You're, uh, I'm glad you're watching that. Are you, like, is it still pretty football focused for you for most of the day? Like, are you watching tape a lot? Are you uh, doing a ton of scouting and, and you know, getting depth charts in, in order for whenever you might get the call to be back? Yeah, you know, absolutely. We're try, trying to be as prepared as possible so we don't kind of get, you know, caught with our pants down, you know, for lack of a better term. Um, you know, and that's obviously top down. You know, Huff has always been. Uh, one to prepare so uh, you know we follow suit and that's exactly what we're doing we're just uh, you know even stuff that we have already that we feel is good enough or uh, we've used in the past uh, you know we're looking to to make those things better so we're always tying ourselves up with something to do but uh, you know we're looking towards now the global draft is something that we had on our board that got pushed back so doing our due diligence in that as well so you know it's never uh never time away from work, which is honestly at this time is a blessing for, for us as coaches just to keep us a little bit sane. You know what I mean? Yeah. How, um, how involved are you in the lead up to the, the CFL draft? How, how dialed in on prospects are you like, is, is that something that's, that's big for you as a D line coach or do you leave that to other player personnel folks in, in the organization? Yeah, I think one of the unique things that happens with us, and again, I've never worked for anybody else, but from what I hear around the league, um, you know, as coaches, you know, let's, for example, if there's 40 eligible defensive linemen up in the draft, you know, I'm watching all 40 of the guys. I'm having write-ups and cut-ups and, you know, our presentation to, to the brass, you know, the, the upper management. Um, so as coaches, we're very involved with our position groups, um, you know, and, and, and dialing in of who we who we eyeball and who we think is, you know, a right fit for, for the team. Um, so th- that essentially, I think, gives us an upper hand, in, in my opinion, um, than the other teams just, you know, have their scouting department, which ours is a great job, man. It's just, I think uh, all of us cohesively, you know, argue each other's point, and then we come to an agreement of, you know, does this player fit our scheme, for example, or uh, does it fit in a, will he be a fit in the room? You know, he might be a better player somewhere else, but, you know, for what we're looking for, uh, we were extremely happy with the draft we had, man. So it worked out really well. Well, and you got a couple of guys that'll be directly under your purview on the defensive line, including your number three overall pick. And, you know, I know that you, you traded down and you end up getting that number three pick, but you end up going with Isaac Adiyami Berglund out of Southern Louisiana. And, and guy looks like an absolute beast at number three. What, uh, what can you tell us about your uh, newest defensive end? Yeah, uh, Isaac is a he's a unique character, man. He's 
he's definitely full of full of energy. Uh, you know, Nova Scotia kid loves football. You know, to go from Nova Scotia and somehow ending up all the way down in Louisiana, you know, you're chasing it if you if you really love it. So that's that's never going to be a concern for us. He's he's married to the game in that sense. Um, but you know, you cut on tape. The first thing you know is this kid just got a, a knack for making plays, and he does it in an, an aggressive nature. Um, you know, and obviously you, you grow up people thinking uh, you know, aggressive people and football players are kind of idiots. You know what I mean? Some, don't get me wrong. You know, I might fall in that category, but um, uh, Isaac is, uh, you know, he's walking away. He's going to graduate with a 3.9 GPAs, uh, all, all uh, conference uh, team academically and uh, as a player. Um, and then, you know, he shows up in big games. So, you know, all our games are going to be big for us up here. And he's just, uh, he's super excited to get rolling. And I know everybody else is too. So, Calgary, get ready, man. We got a we got a good player coming in as well. Well, I mean, he's got a pretty good uh, post football career lined up for himself as well. As he's he's pre like he's graduated pre med, like he's ready to jump right into med school whenever he's done playing football. Like it's, he he yeah, seems to have things pretty plan. planned out. <laughs> not a bad backup plan, you know what I mean? So yeah, he's, got, he's totally got it figured out. Um, so I, I I wouldn't earmark him as one of the guys that will struggle with the playbook. You know, <laughs> yeah. yeah, he should be all right in that respect. And so he's you take a look at him like he's not necessarily the um, the biggest of guys, but he's he's speedy and he like everybody talks about him being an elite pass rusher. You see like he could he, he kind of has that that frame where you could play linebacker, you could play defensive end. We've seen, quote unquote, smaller defensive ends have a lot of success in the CFL in recent years. You, you see him projecting as kind of that, that pass rushing uh, edge rush type guy. Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, that's another thing that we really liked about him is, is, you know, he's so versatile. He did a lot for his team down in college and dropping in coverage, playing, uh, you know, as a linebacker, sometimes rushing from the D tackle position as well as obviously the defensive end position. So, I mean, I think uh, I think we'll we'll use him uh, in a, di- a bunch of different ways, um, just as long as he feels comfortable, like I said in the playbook. But the one thing you know is he's gonna, no matter where he's at, he's gonna go 100 miles per hour, uh, you know. And that's another thing too. He's got he knows you know that's the uh, he knows being the third overall pick doesn't mean that he's gonna walk in and be a starter. Uh, he's gonna have to earn his keep, and he knows that. And made it very vocal that he will make his his name for himself on special teams, you know, first and going and smacking people, um, you know. And that's a, that's what you want to hear as a coach, man. The kid, he gets it, um, and he, he's gonna have to work for it, man. We got some really good defensive linemen in our room, so uh, I'm excited to to just the overall competition in the room and get these guys rolling, and you know, hopefully we get the thumbs up on the season to put together a. A hell of a room that's uh, just giving quarterbacks nightmares in the in the CFL, man. And and you drafted one other D lineman, seventh round pick, Andrew Sinette Spalding out of McGill. What can you tell us about him? Crazy, truthfully, uh, Patty. This kid, he should not have been this late. We it came to the point where we said, look, we have to draft this kid. We had him ranked fairly highly, actually. Um, and I'm not sure exactly what it is that scared people away. Uh, this kid lives in the backfield. He's uh, you look at him, might not pass the eyeball test. You know, he told me before the draft even happened when we interviewed, he said, look, coach, to be honest, everybody always tells me I look out of shape. He said, which I do, but I've just never had to get in shape because I've always just been better than every, better than everybody. So and you can see it when you cut on the tape. He was he won the Metris Award, which is the top defensive lineman in Canada 
uh, new sports. Um, so it's, it was crazy the fact that he was there. And selfishly, I said, look, we got to draft this kid, man. Uh, so, you know, thanks uh, to Dickie and Huff to giving me two. I, I saw unbelievable players that we had ranked highly in, uh, in the D-line. Um, and again, another kid, super smart, uh, really good kid. Uh, so he's going to push competition as well, man. It's, it's it's really turning out to be to be a heck of a room. Probably one of the more talented ones that we've had uh, in the last few years. It's good to hear. That's good to hear. We're talking with Corey Mace, Calgary Stampeders D line coach on the program today, Mr. Peter Klein. Uh, Corey, you talked about the, the process you go through with the, the draft prospects. Obviously, it's a bit different bringing in American players from college football in the States, but do they have you do similar things to just kind of, okay, let's see which guys we're supposed to watch out for in the, the States, uh, the NCAA college football as well? You mean as far as uh, just regular U.S. free agents? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we uh, that's, uh, I would say, more of – our scouting department does a heck of a job identifying these guys, uh, you know, during the season, you know, we'll get cut ups or whatever, uh, or a name they'll bring across our board. Say, Hey, take a peek at this kid. Let me know what you think. Um, and then that's really how we start things, man. And, uh, after that, you know, our defensive coordinator, Brent Monson, this guy is, uh, he's a student under, you know, the old Chris Jones. Um, and those guys, you know, there's, there's scouts in themselves too. So, you know, I'm learning that from Monson as well. That's doing our, our part and, I say the relationship between us and our and our scouts, uh, we're so close and we understand what we want and what we're looking for, uh, players for each position. So, yeah, there's a heck of a lot of film we're watching on college kids and or NFL film because a lot of the guys we see have spent some time down south in the, in the NFL um, or now obviously the XFL as well. Uh, so, you know, even in that crop of guys that we have coming in this year, uh, I'm excited, man. I'm telling you, this is this is a room. Uh, there's going to be some good guys who won't make the team, and that's you're living in a good world as a coach uh, in that situation. You, you talked about getting ready and staying ready in case things just at the drop of hat. Okay, go time. We've seen with social media, different athletes doing different things to get ready. Basketball players, it's pretty obvious how they could stay ready if you have a basketball court at your place. It's tough to practice social distancing and practice being a defensive lineman as well. Uh, so what are some things that defensive linemen could be doing during this downtime to kind of stay ready in case it, it, it's go time right away? Yeah, I mean, it, 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 whatever you have access to, right? There's some guys who have access to pop-ups and, you know, stuff like that where you can use physical use. But, you know, I teach my guys, shoot, pass rush, even even during the season, you know, when you're turning the corner in the house to go to go to the bathroom, you know what I mean? You know, practice your pass rush in that sense. But, you know, I know a lot of the guys are getting back to me saying that they're staying active, whether they're finding a home gym uh, or, excuse me, have a home gym or finding a gym that they have access to uh, in the neighborhood, Um or most of the time the guys are just on the field getting their footwork done, uh, you know, because there's a lot of technique that goes into to pass rushing for the great ones anyways. And these guys are taking um, are taking the coaching in that sense and, and, and working on their footwork and their hands. And that's a lot of stuff that you can do prior to coming into camp and then just make small adjustments. Uh, and, of course, you know, conditioning – even though you'll never get in football shape until you're literally playing it, uh, you could do your best uh, outside of that, you know, to find some, some sort of conditioning for yourself. You don't want to come into camp uh, out of shape uh, specifically. Now, if we do get the thumbs up, you know, who knows how long camp will be. So you got to come in a tip top shape, ready to rock, give yourself the best uh, chance to make the team. I'm now just picturing your guys moving furniture around, practicing their bull rush, like plowing a couch <laughs> into a wall and stuff like that. <laughs> 
<laughs> I tell you what, if they do it right, they should. They, they ain't getting back their security deposit, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but in terms of watching the video, the, the defensive line position, there are a lot of intricacies that I don't think a lot of people appreciate. Like when you watch different positions, oh, uses his hands well, great catch. And with defensive line, it's wow, he got there quick. Awesome. Cool. Uh, what are some things that you can pick up in video that, that can help you during this downtime? Yeah, I mean, I, one thing, uh, you know, I, I try to set my guys up for with, um, you know, different cut ups of different players that they'll face, you know, throughout the season, uh, different pass rushes that, you know, work good for them and what didn't work good for them. Um, and even, you know, for whatever reason, they, they love watching NFL tape too. So I'll make pass rush cutups of the best uh, pass rushers down South as well uh, and see what correlates to what I teach and to what, you know, they see on TV. Um, but it's, you know, it's, a, I, I guess for the average fan, you know, like you said, it just gets there faster, but uh, it's like listening to Italian. It sounds sweet if you don't know it, but once you speak it, you know, the intricacies of how, what region you're from and how to pronounce it. I mean, that's, that's our world, man, in the D line. So just watching footwork and hands and how they adjust the hands, um, you know, what, what they're getting from kind of set, what kind of set they're getting from the offensive lineman, how deep is the quarterback? Does it adjust our rush angle? You know, how's how how fast does he get rid of the ball? You know, there's no there's no question that the correlation in between guys like Bo Levi and your Anthony Calvillos, they don't get uh, they don't get sacked a ton, not the big hits because they get the ball out quick. Same with your Tom Brady's, but you know, your your guys who hold on longer to the ball, of course, there's gonna be some consequences with that coming as well. So I mean there's a million different things, man, that we look at, but uh, that's definitely part of the process this, during this time as well. This, uh, having you know film accessible to these guys to where they can do their extra study, man. Because uh, the one thing I always tell my guys is, and I'm sure it goes as any other sport, you know, the physicality and uh, your, your physical gifted tools that you are given, uh, that's going to fail you at some point in the back end of your career. But your technique and your knowledge of the game will allow you to play longer. So I encourage my young bucks even to start getting a jump on that ASAP, uh, not just rely on their physical tools. Are there one not to do cutups too? Like just a bunch of D linemen getting owned by offensive linemen? Like, hey, don't be that guy. Oh yeah, we. Well, I mean, it's inevitable, right? <laughs> Pro football, <laughs> so those O linemen get paid. There's some monsters over there too. Yeah. So I, I usually don't. Uh, I might throw one in there as a joke once in a while, but definitely if it happens during a game and we're watching the game um, and correcting it, oh, I make it a point to to <laughs> to point it out. Everybody else is laughing before <laughs> I even get to say it, but we know it's coming. So. It happens, man. Everybody's got got before, so uh, but it keeps it light in the room. But definitely, uh, guys don't want to be put on film like that. So you use it kind of as fuel to learn from it and to keep going. Chatting with uh, defensive line coach for the Calgary St. Peters, Corey Mace, here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Pat Mace, did we just learned something about you. Do you speak Italian as well? Uh, do I speak Italian? Yeah. Doppio. Is that? Uh, I think it's a coffee reference. I don't know, actually. I speak no Italian, but I'll tell you what. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, I eat Italian. Does that, <laughs> does that count? Yeah, absolutely. Especially, uh, especially in quarantine. Like, that's, that's the most exciting stuff is what people are eating these days. What, um, what, just g- give me a thought on, on kind of the, this new coaching staff after, you know, it's, it's one season in now and Monson's got one year under his belt, his defensive coordinator. I, I ran into Monson at a 
at a Starbucks came up to me and started talking about some of the trash I read at CFL.ca and was, uh, I was, I was just, I was just kind of shooting it with him for 25 or 30 minutes. And, and like that guy, that guy is an absolute savant. I don't know how that guy gets any sleep with the amount of film that he watches. Tell us about working with Monson as, as your D coordinator uh, for, for the first year last year. Yeah. I'll tell you like um, it's, it's hard to explain it. This guy, you know, he, he's been a grinder since day one, you know, his story. I'm, I don't know who might know it, but he started as like a film assistant for the stamps back in 2009, I believe. Uh, he was actually my defensive line coach in 2011, but of course I got hurt. So I didn't get much time to spend with him. Um, but he's grown into be a friend. Um, and you know, as soon as I transitioned into to coaching and I saw it as a player, but I transitioned to coaching and see how much this guy knows and the knowledge of the game. Uh, you know, sometimes I think in pro sports, uh, if, if a coach didn't play at a pro level, you know, sometimes players don't give the, the, the man the respect that they're due. Uh, this guy's earned it, man. He is, like you said, savant is a great word. He spends day and night. He's locked in his basement. He's watching film right now probably so um always finding uh you know tendencies of other coaches uh, that we face and uh yeah he can go all day and talk football with you man again it's, it's just, it just comes down to a passion of of uh of, of what you love to do uh but one thing he loves more than anything is winning games buddy so he will do anything possible to get that put us in a position or put our guys in a position to win some ball games and uh, you know, he's been around here since 09 and we've been pretty successful since then. And we continue to hopefully, you know, push the cart on that uh, as, as the years go on here, as long as he's here and I'm with him. So we have a great working relationship, man. One of my really good friends. You uh, like you take a look at, at the defensive staff specifically. I mean, just overall, when you take a look up and down this coaching staff, for the most part, it's it's a really young coaching staff in terms of how far removed from playing some of the guys are, uh, and and even just in terms of of overall coaching, like Marquay and and Bell, you and and Monson. Like it's a it's a really young coaching staff, and specifically on the defensive side of things, it's it's a really young staff. Is that like is that something you guys take pride in is that you guys are young and yet there's a ton of accomplishments that you guys have been able to knock off the list really early on yeah no i definitely was something that we're well aware of it you know and we do take pride in it i think that there's some positives and some negatives of course to it you know obviously we don't have the the experience uh you know as your older coaches um but we aren't far removed from the game i think we relate well to the players um and truthfully i think it's a it's a it's a new regime, a new kind of player, um, and we've seen it, a lot of us uh, as younger coaches, because we played and shared a locker room with these guys, so we know how to handle them. Uh, I think uh, a little bit different than you know traditional coaches, our coaches that I've had in the past. Um, so, yeah, that was definitely something that we, we, we understood, but at the end of the day, I don't care how old I am. I'm going to win. I love winning as much as I do now. Uh, and that's our main focus, man, is just being prepared and getting our guys rolling. But, you know, now with Cortez coming back on and our new linebacker coach, Dwayne Cameron, you know, we've upped the age group now. So these guys are bringing in the uh, the age. And, of course, Dickie's always getting older. So, you know, we're getting older, man, in that sense. But, you know, guys like Monson and myself and Bell, I think we're all 36 and under, I think, maybe. You know what I mean? So we're, we're rolling, man. We're having a good time. Um, and we're looking forward to to keep to keep swinging and hopefully walk away with some championships here in the future. Uh, two more before we let you go, because I know you got an, we're, we're keeping you from a very important day, so I feel bad about that. So just a couple more. What today? We let you go. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I forgot. Yeah, anniversary. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm sure your wife is just thrilled. Yeah, okay, radio interview or anniversary. Uh, yeah. So I, I don't want to keep you too much longer. But what, um, like, how how is, because, you know, you're rather fit guy you're not that far removed from from playing like have you found it a challenge uh staying active and, and getting workouts in um or or have you been able to come up with a pretty solid regimen here so I, it's funny you ask that so the, my first couple of weeks uh the regimen was how many coors banquet could i drink <laughs> you know in a short amount of time uh but now i think my wife's got sick of that and so have i truthfully in the last couple of weeks, man, I've been running every morning. I don't know what's going on. I've never been a runner. Obviously, being close to 300 pounds, nobody uh, runs for distance. But uh, I ran my first 10K yesterday, man. I'm feeling pretty good about it. I'm starting to enjoy it, sadly enough. I would sounds crazy, man, but I would almost encourage it. You know what I mean? So uh, Maybe I'm turning a new leaf. I don't know. But uh, we'll see what happens once everything gets back to our normal. But for right now, I'm, I'm living it, and I'm loving it. That's awesome. And what's what's the uh, like? What's the mental grind like? I can't imagine the um, I can't imagine the just the overall stress of not knowing when you're starting um, and and when you're going to be able to be back and, and not knowing what's going on. How how you dealing with it from a, a mental side of things right now? Yeah, you know, I've always been just kind of that type to you know just be very optimistic, man, and positive about things. You know, obviously, I don't have any. Uh, decision-making ability here, but I got faith in the people who do. And, um, you know, I'm just happy that I do uh, still currently have a job and I can get my escape and still be, you know, close to the game that I've loved, you know, my whole life. And, you know, the positive again is is crazy, but I get to spend so many hours, you know, with my girls here at the house, uh, which I would have never been able to do, man. So, I mean, I just look at all the positives um, and I'm, I'm staying optimistic about us getting started and, uh, still keeping in contact with all my guys, you know, thank God for technology. Uh, so I, I almost feel like uh, I'm, I'm still in it in a sense. Uh, but again, just staying optimistic, man. So I never, I never try to get too down on anything. So it's t- kind of tough to keep me down and, and mentally drive me nuts, man. So I guess uh, just power of positivity. You never said it. What was the PR on Coors Banquet you could put down in one sitting? Uh, I one sitting. I think what was the best? What, what was it? How many was? Twelve. She's going twelve. That's probably a short <laughs> sell. That's a short sell. You know, there's 24 hours in a day. That's embarrassing. Twelve. Sorry, guys. Sorry. <laughs> well, keep, keep grinding. Keep working away. You know, Rome wasn't built in a day. We we can we can get you there. <laughs> I got work to do. I got work to do. Sorry. <laughs> That's that's the most important thing that we learned today. Macer, pre- appreciate the time, brother. Uh, happy anniversary. Uh, thank you for spending some time with us this afternoon. Stay safe. Stay healthy. Hopefully we uh, see you back on a football field really, really soon. Thanks for doing this today. Awesome, fellas. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. It's Corey Mace, Calgary Stampeders, D-line coach on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. The bar may be closed to patrons during these trying times, but they are open for business. Pickup delivery available by calling 403-248-3344. That's 248-3344. Kleiner with the most important question of the day, to be perfectly honest with you. I think that that... That's what um, I do. Well, it's first for everything, right? So... um, (laughs) 
hey, if you're if you're gonna come with that trash, I gotta I gotta knock you down a peg. No, that, yeah, no, twelve that's fair. one sitting. That that's that's an impressive amount. Um, we've got lots to talk about on the program. Top of the hour, Wild Card Wednesday, and don't forget it's Wednesday, which means at five o'clock in conversation with Ron McLean. It's a family affair on in conversation tonight, five o'clock. Uh, we talked to this. Uh, we talked to her yesterday. Um, one of Canada's most ever, uh, most decorated athletes ever, Penny Alexiak, is going to be one side of the conversation. Her older brother and Penguins defenseman Jamie Alexiak, the other side. So you've got an NHLer and you've got one of the most decorated Canadian athletes of all time. Penny and Jamie Alexiak are on in conversation with Ron McLean coming up tonight at the top of the five o'clock hour. Five p.m. is when we'll throw to Ron. You're locked on Pinder and. Steinberg on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Two guys in different spots staying at home, but still talking on the radio. It's a miracle. Pinder and Steinberg is only on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. It's Wednesday, which means a chance to catch up with the one and only Jeff Snyder from Elevate Lacrosse. He joins us every Wednesday on the program. Hi, Snides. What's going on? How are you doing? I got to I got to open up with this. Who's the guy that does these intros? Like, does he sound the exact same way in person? Like, do we know? Can I meet this guy? Yeah, his name is Jim meet- Cutler. He uh, he I believe he's based somewhere in the states, and essentially his only job is to get up, go into his home studio, and start recording things. Like, he's the same guy who does ESPN. He does all of Sportsnet. He does like every second sports radio station in the United States does all of our sports, uh, sports net stations across the country. Um, yeah. Like that's literally his job is just to <laughs> this guy's a legend. Cool. And like, if he knew, if he knew who you and, and like Pinder were, like, do you think he'd, do you think he'd still do it the same way? Or do you think he'd do it a little differently? Well, he might do it a little differently. Like, he might be kind of like, you know, make more jokes about how much of a nerd I am and that type of stuff. Like, it's funny. Like, he's so good at his job, but, like, he does so many stations so that, like, he kind of turns into a robot sometimes. And, like, we have some of the, the great outtakes where he reads names wrong or, like, because, like, he doesn't know Pat Steinberg from uh johnny rockin frats over in seattle or like you know what like so so it's like the, the it's just like reading things and you know curse sometimes gives him some really strange things to read i'm not gonna because curse writes pretty much everything that uh, that he reads and sometimes curse gives him some strange things to read <laughs> i love it i love it this guy's a legend i just think it's unbelievable like how could you take yourself seriously doing that and i love it that he does you must say you must get a kick this guy's a legend he's a legend it probably makes like easy six figures doing it too. Like what a like, what a way <laughs> to be it. blessed with an unbelievable voice and then make a lucrative career for yourself by doing it. Um, you know, and and I, I will give uh, I will give you credit. You know, you uh, you were blessed with the ability to play lacrosse and have made a pretty lucrative career uh, in in the world of lacrosse, playing in three different leagues and representing uh, Canada. You've been an ambassador, and and uh, now you're running uh, your own lacrosse program in in elevate lacrosse there there's some there's some significant news in let's try that again in the lacrosse world today uh one of uh, your contemporaries in in paul rabel who has started up his own league uh the professional lacrosse league they're they're coming back and they're going to be playing a two-week tournament later on this summer you know from a lacrosse standpoint and from a pro sports standpoint that's some pretty significant news today 
It's, it's huge. And I think what's really cool about the PLL is that they've kind of flipped this thing on its head. Lacrosse is such a tertiary sport that it, it's, you know, you, you have to sort of be able to, I hate using the word pivot in business, but you know, it, Paul kind of turned this on his head when he, when he kind of dropped this league and, and it really, you know, affected the, the major league lacrosse, um, the MLL and, and coming in as a competitor. And he's got obviously the backing of Joe Ty, like, you know, the Brooklyn Nets owner, like he's, he's, uh, you know, he's got a great relationship there with him and, and they're going to put something together. If they can, if they can, if anybody can do it, they can do it. And, you know, this is how this, how lacrosse sort of, you know, needs to be right now. It needs to be kind of a traveling show and, and doing a two week tournament if they can with the protocols that they can, like, you know, it's funny to say lacrosse, like look, some lacrosse arenas don't have a lot of people in it anyway, uh, you know, right now, but if there's anybody that can do it, it's them. And, and I tell you what, the product is, is sort of primed to, to put together and, and being first to market in this environment. Um, I'll tell you what, lacrosse players are, are, you know, they're going to, they're, they're younger guys. A lot of the guys, you know, you don't see a ton of, you know, deep, uh, you know, like there's not a ton of guys with like lots of kids or, you know, all the problems that we're talking about with the NHL and, and, you know, them getting started back up. I, I don't think lacrosse has the same issues. You got young guys, you got single guys, you got guys that would happily go chill in a hotel in LA for in a quarantine fashion and have a great time and get up and play their games. Um, so it, it'll be interesting to see how this transpires, but it could be really big news and it could be the only sports news going on. Um, so I, I'm, I'm curious to see how it runs. And, and for those who aren't aware uh, about what the PLL is, uh, Paul Rabel, who has uh, starred in the NLL, he was a college superstar uh, in the United States and, and is, is one of the most accomplished and, and certainly one of the most recent outdoor superstars south of the border. Like He is a huge name in lacrosse. But tell us a little bit more about what PLL is, their business model, and, and how they decided to go about business prior to the pandemic becoming a thing. So I think the you know your normal sports franchise operates in a hometown. You have your home base, right? And that's kind of how it's always been. Where the PLL, you know, they kind of took it back to being a traveling, you know, sort of league where teams went and competed on a weekend in a certain venue and you turned it. And I think the whole model was built sort of off the NCAA Final Four. Um, you know, the Final Four weekend, they were pulling like for, for an NCAA championship game, you'd see like forty five to fifty thousand people in a stadium. Um, they play it at Gillette. They play it at M&T Bank. They, you know, they, it was in, it's sort of all on the East Coast. And they turn it into this big sort of event that takes place over a weekend. And that's how the idea came to be with these guys is that they, um, uh, you know, they, they, they started turning it into, you know, the best lacrosse players in the world. They pay them legitimate money. Um, they come into these weekends and they, they do their thing. And, and it's been really successful, um, you know, for a first-time league getting off the ground and, and, and getting running um, you know, they, they, they had a really successful start to the season. They did a ton of stuff that was really unique. You got guys like mic'd up. You'd have a goalie, you know, who just made a save at one end of the field and he's mic'd up talking to a reporter, you know, talking about the play as the play is progressing down the field. So all of the stuff that they had going on with respect to their social media platforms and their interaction with players was really pioneering. And I think it actually opened up some eyes to some opportunities you know, in, in what the future of sport actually looks like. And, and you know, I got to be honest, I think the PLL is right on the, the precipice of that with respect to the ability to, to do different things and incorporate different, you know, sort of facets to what watching a sporting event looks like. And in a lot of ways, like from 
a player standpoint, look, there are guys like Rabel or or yourself or um, you know there's 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 certain guys who have been able to make playing lacrosse and and playing in different leagues. Like Curtis Dixon's a great example with the Roughnecks. Like there are certain guys who are able to make a pretty decent living on lacrosse and lacrosse only. But you know, the vast majority of guys who are playing NLL or MLL or even in the PLL, are, are probably doing other things, whether they're engineers or they've got their own businesses. Dane Doby's an electrician. All these types of things. Having pro lacrosse back, like having the PLL coming back, has got to be a, a significant boost for a, a, a big chunk of players, too. They've got small rosters. You know, they're, they're, there's not a lot of guys um, that are in both leagues. Um, so you're either a field lacrosse player or a box lacrosse player for the most part. The best players in the world are arguably play both. We talk about calling them a hybrid player, if you will. Um, so their rosters are small. Um, you know, I'm sure Curtis is – I'm sure there's lots of guys that are going to be chomping at the bit to get in that league. And, and I wouldn't be surprised – you know, God, give Dane Doby an opportunity. See how he does. You know, Sean Evans, you know, kind of stepped into a field across setting with the Bayhawks. And it's a very different sport. But, um, you know, it'd be, it'd be interesting to see maybe if different guys, they added another team or they added two teams and then some guys that maybe they didn't know, uh, you know, could have played in this setting, you know, put them into the mix and see how they perform. Um, and I'm sure a lot of guys are going to be chomping at the bit to do it. Just one, they've lost their seasons. Two, um, you know, the PLL is, is such an interesting model that it, 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 I think you could put somebody in there like a guy like, you know, Dane Doby and, and not that Dane is, you know, he's not a, you know, the guy isn't getting up and down the field, you know, a hundred yards, you know, Dane is a, a finisher and a pure finisher. And he's a guy that I could see causing a lot of problems. He wouldn't cause, cause a lot of problems, you know, from a, from like a superior athletic perspective, but in terms of putting the ball in the net, there's nobody better in the world than Dane Doby at it right now. And, and it would be interesting to see him step into that. So hopefully they're able to, you know, open up and, and let some guys in and, and uh, you know, it'd just be great to, it, it, wouldn't it be cool if nothing else was going on and all of a sudden lacrosse was being watched all over the world because it's the only thing that's on TV. I, I, that's, I'm stoked for it. Like I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing it and, you know, German soccer is coming back. NASCAR is back uh, sometime in, in the next week or so. Um, now we've got news that the PLL is coming back, and I'm sure we'll be able to have a, a way to be able to watch it in Canada because it's going to be broadcast coast-to-coast coast on NBC Sports Network. It's just I, I'm with you. Like, having lacrosse as one of the first sports back, I think, is huge. It's funny you bring up Jeff Snyder's with us from Elevate Lacrosse. It's funny you bring up the the hybrid player being able to play box lacrosse and, and field lacrosse. And we've seen it like Casey Powell was, you know, incredibly dominant at both Paul Rabel, uh, Curtis Dixon's been able to be really good at both. Like some guy named Jeff Snyder uh, has, has played field and box and, and done so really, really well. But you know, there's, it's not everybody who can excel at both. Fair to say, is it, is it still like, this is where it was four five, six years ago. Fair to say that even now it's still, easier to make that transition from you know being the indoor canadian raised box guy and and making the transition to the the field lacrosse which is more dominant in the states than it is the other way is that, is that still the case today well listen i can take penalties and be uncoachable in any sport of the world so i don't deserve as much credit <laughs> as these guys so like if there's a penalty box or a, a card or a flag or you can get ejected from a game i'm your guy um but in terms of being a you know a, a hybrid player, I think I think you know the, the big thing about the sport and it needing to grow is that we need more Americans playing the game. And 
the thing that I think is really unique about Canadian players is their 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 journey to the NCAA is ultimately what makes they they become better box lacrosse players through that transition because field lacrosse is such an athletic sport. Um, you know, I would like Mark Matthews was a hell of a box lacrosse player, but man, did he get creative in field lacrosse, and I think it helped you know, change his game a little bit more athletically and, and vision wise, because he was playing in this alternate setting. So for the league to get bigger, we need more American guys playing um, a great example of, of an American hybrid player would be Tom Schreiber. He does, he does some pretty incredible things. And when you take the skill set of American athletes from their, from an athleticism perspective and their range and shooting, and then you start giving them a box lacrosse education, it's really interesting to see how spectacular these guys are as, as athletes. And uh, it's, it, that's, that's what needs to happen to get this game, you know, to where it needs to be, um, you know, in North America and, and yes, globally, but in terms of the transition being difficult, it's harder to go in and play box across than it is to go in and play field across. And that's the problem mm-hmm. is that I think the game and how it's, it's turning into a young man's sport. The, the rules are kind of getting tweaked and twisted a little bit. And I think you're kind of seeing like a blending of the two. And, and we're going to see that in, in this Olympic lacrosse model. Um, man, is it fun to watch. Women's lacrosse at an Olympic level is spectacular. It's incredible to watch. It's fast. It's athletic. And it's really about the skill sets of the game. And, and then when you combine the athleticism of an American and the, the, you know, the, 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 the uh, very finite skill sets of Canadian players, you've really got an incredible player. So the real challenge is to get more Canadian kids into the NCAA and more American guys playing box across throughout you know, the, United, the United States so that we can begin to blend and, and, and put together that complete player. I think that's ultimately going to be what makes you know, the NLL um, you know, a premier sporting product. Good stuff, my friend. Before we let you go, uh, tell us a little bit about what's happening at Elevate Lacrosse. I know that you guys are in a holding pattern, but you're doing some really good things in the community. And, and uh, while we are, are currently in our uh, state of mind, tell us what's happening at Elevate. Uh, we just we're just continuing to do our thing. Um, you know, we've got leaderboards up, we got challenges up. We handed out our we did the month of April. We handed out prizes for kids that were out putting their sticks in their hands and training. Um, you know, we send out a weekly report, whether it's information on on COVID or it's you know what you can do on your own. We're talking about mental health. We're you know Bobby right now is actually reaching out. Um, you know, we're reaching out and calling every single kid that participated in our winter training program that got cut short. We're checking in and we're making sure that we're staying up on our homework and our, our schoolwork and, and our fitness and our skill sets. And, and, um, you know, we're just trying to lead in the community. Um, you know, lacrosse is on hold as is every other team sport for the moment. And, you know, we're hoping to be a resource for the you know, city of Calgary as they start to open up and, and putting together sort of a return to play. Um, what does that look like? Like lacrosse, we could we could train. We don't we don't need to get into contact. We just want to be on the field where we can shoot mm-hmm. and coach and put together a group of kids in a in a safe and and respectful manner that isn't going to put anybody at harm or jeopardy or you know contribute to the. And we want to be a part of the solution rather than a, a part of the problem. In in uh, you know in every sports cliche. So um, you know we're we're hoping to be a resource for the city. Um, we're continuing to do our best to lead in the community, and and we're very grateful that we've got. Uh, you know, families and kids to reach out to and stay in touch with and, and, and lead in an appropriate manner as, uh, as we get back on our feet here and, and um, hopefully get back to sport really soon. Thank you, Mr. Snyder. We'll talk next week. Pleasure as always, my friend. Thank you, guys. Can't wait to give you a big hug, my man. It'll be soon. It's coming. As long as you're wearing those, uh, those short shorts, I'll be a happy boy. 
You know, hey, nothing. I'm six inch in seams all day. You got, you know me. <laughs> See you, <Snipes. laughs> All right, I love it. We'll catch you soon. See you, buddy. Love you, man. It's Jeff Snyder right. on the uh, Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. The bar may be closed to patrons during these trying times, but they are open for business. Pickup or delivery is available by calling 403-248-3344. That's 248-3344. You're locked on Pinder and Steinberg. Happy Wednesday. Sportsnet 960, the fan. Two guys in different spots staying at home, but still talking on the radio. It's a miracle. Pinder and Steinberg is only on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Let's go back in time and celebrate the amazing history of the Calgary Flames. Today in Flames History Starts. Starts. Now. On May 6, 1989, the Flames rushed to Chicago for Game 3 of the Conference Finals with the series tied at one game apiece. Calgary took it to the Blackhawks 5-2 on the back of Joe Mullen's 10th and 11th goals of the playoffs, while Theo Fleury, Joe Neuendijk, and Hawk and Lube also added goals for Calgary. The Flames would not lose another game in this series, taking out Chicago in five games and advancing to the Stanley Cup Final. Today in Flames history, celebrating 40 years of Flames hockey in Calgary on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Jeez, how dare the Calgary Flames lose a game to Chicago in uh, in that round? I mean, how dare they? Oh. Um, of course, they uh, they would uh, only lose uh, three games combined after their seven game triumph over the Vancouver Canucks. So they they got by Vancouver in seven in round one in '89, swept the Kings, Gretzky and the Kings in the second round. Uh, five-game series win over the Chicago Blackhawks, and then they lost. How dare they lose twice to Montreal in the Stanley Cup Finals uh, before winning that in six. Like To think that that year in the regular season, I believe the Flames finished like 30 points ahead of the Vancouver Canucks, and the Canucks were the team that gave them the uh, hardest time. <laughs> 40 points, exactly 40 points ahead of them. Uh, Canucks were 33-39-8. and eight. The Flames were 54, 17, and 9, and the Canucks almost upset them in round one. And then yeah. they go on to beat the Kings, then the Blackhawks, uh, and then they eventually um, end up beating Montreal, who was the second-best team in the league that year. Uh, Flames had 117 points. They won the President's Trophy that year, and the Montreal Canadiens had 115 points. Um Pretty crazy when you think about the Canucks were the team that almost knocked off the Flames. And, and you look at how much of a grind that series was, and then to come up with the sweep the next one, I think uh, I remember doing these, and it was like an eight- or nine-day break, and you just wonder how important that was to heal up after a, a grind of a series against the Canucks. Like that, it is kind of weird when you think, okay, you have the storied Habs, you have Wayne Gretzky, but no, 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 no. It's going to be the Canucks that are going to be the ones that push you. It is kind of crazy to think about that. Yeah, it really is. Uh, okay, uh, that is this date in Flames history. Uh, nice job from Logan, Klein, Jason, and now Riley for uh, uh, getting all the research done. And Logan's been voicing them up. Producer Jordan has been uh, putting them all together. They sound really slick, so good work on uh, the collaborative effort on this date in Flames history. Hey, it is um, May, which means Mother's Day, and we are gearing up for Mother's Day with a pretty cool promotion. We're teaming up with our friends at Panda Flowers for this uh, until tomorrow. So 
Tomorrow's the last day to enter to win. You've got a chance to win a $70 bouquet of flowers delivered to your mom uh, on Mother's Day, which is this weekend, of course. So you got to tune in during the morning show and our show. And in a spot set, which is what we like to call in radio a commercial break, during a commercial break, uh, you will hear a clip of a famous mom. As soon as you hear that famous mom, text in 960-960, your guess and your name, and you're going to be entered into the grand prize draw. The more you enter, the more you win. All the details are up at sportsnet.ca slash 960. We're doing this with our friends at Panda Flowers, real florists in real flower shops. Order online at pandaflowers.ca. Easy, easy to win uh, at 960-960. You could be winning that bouquet of flowers delivered to your mom on May the 10th, which just happens to be Mother's Day. Wild Card Wednesday is coming your way next. It's Pinder and Steinberg on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Let's take a spin and find out all the things we never wanted to know about our afternoon show. It's time for Wild Card Wednesday. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. All right, boys. It's a it's a rare treat where we actually do Wild Card Wednesday on a Wednesday. It's like a once a week treat. We also do it on Mondays and Fridays, and sometimes on Tuesdays and Thursdays. That is called Pandemic Radio. Uh, we are into uh, week eight of Pandemic Radio. Welcome to the program. Welcome back to the program. Uh, here's what's coming up tonight, by the way, on uh, our humble radio airwaves. Uh, at the top of the hour, 5 o'clock, in conversation with Ron McLean. Today, a family affair, uh, Olympic gold medalist and four-time Olympic medalist in 2016, uh, one of the most decorated Canadian athletes of all time, Penny Alexiak, along with her brother, Jamie Alexiak, of the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, that's all coming up. At 5 o'clock, then at 6 o'clock, we're going back to a really, really fun game at the Scotiabank Saddledome during the Findaway Flame season. If you remember this one, I remember it vividly. February 16th, 2015, the Flames were in the middle of a playoff race, uh, in the middle of uh, trying to lock down their first playoff spot since 2009, and they were playing the powerhouse Bruins. And this is a this is a game that saw the Bruins have a lead late. Um, I believe what happened was Brad Marchand scored on a penalty shot in the final minutes to give the Bruins a lead. The Flames tied the game in the final seconds, and then T.J. Brody with the most bizarre overtime winner ever. It was a pinball that eventually found its way behind Tuka Rask, and the Flames found a way in their find-a-way Flames season to win. That's coming up at 6 o'clock. Feb 16, 2015, Bruins and Flames is your Flames Rewind tonight but right now we're in our wild card wednesday casino we've got logan gordon the basement systems downtown studio my name is pat steinberg here at um my spot and peter klein is at his spot and it is time to uh go through our wild card wednesday categories we've got our big slot machine uh with the categories pop culture personal life career sports and wild card we all take a spin and we all ask a question and answer logan is our leadoff man let's hit it logo what we got career all right, gentlemen, there have been a few uh, changes at the station this week, including the reuniting of one of our favorite pairings of all time, Ryan Pinder and Will Nault. I need the over-under before our first Will Nault-Ryan Pinder confrontation. Oh, 
Okay, so are you going to set the over under or no? Are you, you I want I want you to give me an over under on how long it's going to take. Okay, so I'm going to set. It's already it gone at, over for me. Um, it's already gone over. Wow. Yeah, already I'm gone gonna over. I'm going to set it at <laughs> seven and a half, including the two days that have already been done, or three days now that have already been done. So over seven and a half, or 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 seven and a half is our is our total or our number, um, and I am going to go. And I should add to this: who snaps first? Like, which one of the two is gonna? Okay, I'm gonna go under seven and a half. So I think before Monday's show, um, we're going to see it, and I'm going to say. Will snaps at Pinder. That is my that is my guess. Yeah, I, I'm gonna say. Yeah, I uh, I think it'll be on Monday show, because even in pandemic times, Mondays are still Mondays. So I'm gonna say by the the next Monday show, and it'll be Will at Pinder. He seems to just draw it out of a lot of people, but specifically. Will. <laughs> I love how you paused a little bit and then Yeah. And then, you realized, wait, it's it's not it's far from just Will. It's it's yeah, literally everyone. <laughs> except uh, really except for me. I think my patience from doing the overtime show has, has made it so that I it doesn't draw it out of me the same way. I, I'm gonna expand my mind a bit and I'm gonna go to ten and a half. Uh, I do think I'm gonna go under on that. It's a big number. I do think the spread will happen sometime. Next week, for sure. The only reason that my number's increasing is because they're only talking about snacks right now, and there's no actual, like, somewhat what we would consider serious conversation. Not that they have that a lot on the morning show, but, you know, it's mostly the snack brackets that they're going through right now. So I feel like there's not going to be too much tension for a bit, but eventually Ryan's going to have a high bar opinion of a chocolate bar or something. Will will have had a bad sleep, and it's just going to explode in every beautiful way that we can imagine. I just think I should talk God, about, I hope Jeff it's about a Skinner bar. again. Is <laughs> there a Jeff Skinner chocolate bar or salty snack? I was wondering because they did the potato chips bracket, and then they did salty snacks, and that's where outstanding – uh, snack options like Doritos, Zesty, and Nacho Cheese have shown up. Um, there's some there's some real powerhouses in that salty snacks one. They what what bothers me a little bit. I think they could have gone a little. It, it would have been tough, but those, um, what is it? Snyder's of Hanover pretzel bites are unbelievable. But there's a power rankings within them. Like the buffalo wings is better than the cheddar which is better than the jalapeno, which is then better than the honey mustard one, which I don't like at all. So, you know, there's there's different power rankings of the Snyders of Hanover pretzel bites. So I think they could have done a 32-team bracket, but they went to 16, and there's some powerhouses in there. Uh, but I, I like that question quite a bit, and I, I will be very uh, – very curious to see when it inevitably happens. It's a little too okay. easy to say, oh, it's a good fit, sign him. It's what? too easy to say Buffalo's a terrible market. Why would you want to live there? Okay, it's just as easy, man. So calm down. No, I'm just, just saying, like, you're so, you're always, uh, Pinder's got to be right. Pinder's I, right. No. Pinder's right. No, no, no. Listen to me. Like, sometimes other people have opinions, man. Like I've we, asked you for your opinion. Right. You gave it to me. I have no problem with your opinion. Just, this is what conversation is well. I'm not saying oh. you're wrong. Here's why. Now you're I'm, giving lessons on conversation. This is good. <laughs> I get to play it. It's so good. Uh, oh. Now think that, but about a caramel bar. And that's something that we're probably going to be <laughs> dealing with. <here. laughs> and that's when I just sit back and 
let it play out in front of me. The best okay. thing is that there's yeah. also a Pinder versus Derek Wills one in here that me and Pat went through a few weeks ago. And, uh, yeah, it's pretty good. Pinder does I don't think Pinder and I have a real bad one. Do you and Pinder have one, too? I don't, I don't think so. I was trying oh, to okay. think. I don't think, like, no, he, I don't and, think I, so. he and I, like, we got into it on the CFL. And... You could have put the CFL one in there because that no, was probably I... the closest one. Well, we've had a few. Like, we, we battled it out. I remember one day he was being, he, and he's admitted, he was, he was having a bad day in the home life, and, and we were at uh, Winsport, and he was coming at me about something, and I kind of, I kind of like, I lost. I'm like, okay, what are you trying to do here? Are you, are you trying to, are you trying to make me look bad, or are you trying to have a conversation? And then um, that, that was one of them. But he and I haven't had a lot of those. When we disagree, it, it tends to be fairly civil, but um I think that's just me having a high pain tolerance more than anything else. <laughs> I, I I quite enjoy it when Pinder draws those reactions out of people. I find it quite entertaining myself. Uh, okay, I'm ready to rock and roll. I've got uh, I think I've got questions ready to go. Wild card. Oh God. Oh, um. This is uh, like I've got a bunch written down for wild card. So I'm going to go with this one. You've got $1,000. Somebody just gifts you a $1,000 gift card to any clothing store. You can go to one clothing store, one location. What clothing store do you choose uh, with a $1,000 gift card to go on a spending spree? What is your, uh, what is oh. your place of uh, – where are you spending your dough? I'm probably going to, I think I'm going to go to say like a Jersey City or a sport check and load up on some of the uh, sports jerseys that I want to add to uh, my collection because uh, as much as I enjoy uh, getting jerseys and that sort of stuff, they're always really pricey. And if you want to get a good one, it's like 200 bucks or something like that. So I think that's probably where I'm going to go. I have enough clothes. I don't really you know shop anywhere specific that I, I need to go to get clothing or anything like that so i'm probably going to use it for selfish reasons and add some jerseys to the collection yeah i like where logan's head is at on this one i i, I would consider that as well i think just to be different i'm gonna say house of hoops they still have the, uh, a few basketball jerseys that are good but one thing that i definitely would do if i all of a sudden came into quite a bit of money my shoe game would step up tenfold um and, and it would start with shoes from there so i would probably go with that a couple other articles of clothing in there as well like what kind I, of I shoes are we talking about here klein like jordans absolutely you jordans. Just like, but, get... like classic jordans like jordan one jordan threes the, those types of things. jordan like ones the... are the greatest shoes that have ever been made um so i would absolutely go with that one probably like something along the original bulls like black and red but there's a north carolina one that's come out that looks really good as well with the the baby blue and white that i would consider so yeah i, I would probably go uh house of hoops option okay how much would a thousand dollars get you on jordan she could do what three maybe four pa four <laughs> pairs probably yeah probably jordan one worth it pretty good I think that I can, oh, they're the I, best. Can, I can get the behind best. Jordan one. I I I can't personally do them, um, but yeah, Jordan ones are incredible. Uh, I'm I've got I do have two pairs of Jordans, but they're not Jordan Jordans. They're a Jordan Forces. It's when they did the Air Force One Jordan mm. collab. Uh, they're kind of they're kind of like an Air Force One mid. 
with uh, with Jordan styling on them. They're really nice. I love them. I got a black pair and a white and blue pair. Um, and I think like the clear like Jordan ones and then Jordan threes. Jordan threes are right yeah. up there uh, near the top of the list too when it comes to elite shoes. But you're right. The the Jordan ones there are some of the greatest shoes ever made. No question about it. Um, I'm an Air Force One guy, um, so that's where I would do. I'd go to a Foot Locker if I were doing shoes. I'd go to a really good, well stocked Foot Locker and uh, or or maybe the Nike store and. Um, Go wild on on Air Force Ones, but I'd, no, I'd my, love to do that. But I, no store stocks my size of shoe, so. Well, that's why you can order specially, though. You've got a gift card. I guess. I guess I could do the internet what, option. Like but... what? What type of Buicks are you rocking? <laughs> uh, I got some Under Armors right now, but I usually rock Nikes if I can. But what size though? Like, uh, sixteens. Sixteens. Yeah. Whoa! You are those. Those are. Those are Buicks. You're rocking a Mercedes yeah. G wagon on a, on each of your legs. Yeah, that there's there's great. no store in Calgary that stocks my shoes. Sixteens. Yeah. Wow. Well, you know what they say about guys with big shoes. Big feet. Um, they can't big, find them. Big there. feet. Yeah, that's what I was getting at. Uh, uh, by the way, toes. I would go. I, I'd be all over uh, Lululemon. Lulu would be the the store for me. I, I thought you were going to say Baby oh. Gap. You're the <laughs> just the, the tight, tight shirts. Yeah, nice, nice and snug. Uh, no, I, I go know, all over. Baggy. I don't know what, what what are you guys doing here. Do you can, can do you have a schmedium? Can we schmedium? Uh, Lulu has the like the greatest boxer shorts ever made. Uh, they have got the like the the hoodies are outstanding. Uh, I love the workout wear. I love the shorts. Like I just uh, I'm a big Lulu guy, so I would go uh, I would go with Lululemon. Even like some of the stuff that's a little dressier, I love their stuff. Like some of the the button ups and um, even their their take on dress pants, I love. So yeah, I would go. It wouldn't get me far. A thousand dollars at Lulu isn't going to go a huge long long way, but I, Lululemon would be the spot that I would go. All right, Clyne, are you ready? Yes, I am. Pop culture. Ooh, okay. Uh, my question for you fine gentlemen today, obviously with the pandemic, we, we've had to, you know, we've had a lot more time to take in different things of pop culture. What has mm -hmm. been your pop culture MVP of the quarantine so far? Uh... Logo, you go first because I've got a few. I want to see if you take mine. I think you might, but go go with yours. <sighs> I, I won't go Ozark just because I haven't finished it yet. It, it's up there for me, though, and I've certainly enjoyed it. Um, I mean, probably the most used one, especially when uh, Ryan was on the show, was uh, was Tiger King. It was the the talk forever. It still hurts my brain a little bit to think about all of that, the constant quotes that have come from uh, that lady, Carol Baskin, and all of her friends, and you know all the fun Killed stuff with that. Yeah, whacked him. <laughs> Can't convince me that it didn't happen. All the songs that he definitely didn't sing, and uh, the Carol Baskin lookalike in the music video, which was insanely well done. Uh, there's a lot of weird things. Him talking about his genitals on the face of his boyfriend who killed himself in front of his mother at the funeral. Um, which was so inappropriate. Um, yeah, there that Tiger King probably got me through a lot of this for a while. Um, 
I don't know, like, from a TV perspective, Ozark for sure would be the MVP, but I think my MVP would be, um, I don't know if this counts, and Kleiner, you tell me if I'm, I'm cheating on this, but I think my, my pop culture MVP has been TikTok. I don't, I don't have the creativity to be on TikTok as, like, an influencer myself. I don't know, like, my life is boring as all hell, so I don't have anything. I can't think of funny ideas or, like, but some of the stuff that you see on TikTok, like, when you just scroll, TikTok, rather, when you scroll through there and and just go on a binge of watching videos for 45 minutes, like, that passes time in a hurry, and there are some seriously funny people. Like, there are the awful ones where you're like, okay, this is a bad lip sync, or this is somebody telling you an influential story of their lives. You just skip, scroll up, skip that one, but... TikTok has been hilarious, and some of the stuff that you get on there, or even some of the people who do, like I was watching a few nights ago, some guy did this crazy acoustic mashup of uh, 390s hits. I was like, this is dope. Like, I want to listen to this all the time. Uh, So I would say TikTok has been my MVP. Does that count? It counts, uh, as disappointing as it may be. That that does certainly count. Why is that disappointing? Um, um, oh no, it's fine. I'm joking around. Um, I, I, I will admit, uh, a thousand dollars at Lululemon and then TikTok for this answer back to back is just like, just the best. Um, but when, when we What's were wrong in Japan, with shopping at Lulu? have you ever like, do you wear Lulu? The, the greatest clothes ever made. Think about what you just asked me. I'm wearing a Pascal Siakam Jersey and Raptors championship shorts today. Point. No, I don't shop at Lululemon. Um, when we were in Japan, my wife fell asleep watching TikTok, and it doesn't scroll through when you're on a video. Like, so you can watch it again. It just replays over and over and over again. So I just got the same 10 seconds of a Dua Lipa song over and over and over and over and over again. So that turned me off TikTok for a while. Uh, but that does certainly count as pop culture. Uh, for me, the answer is obviously RuPaul's Drag Race. Um, we've talked about one. it a bit. Just finished season 10 today. Uh, Eureka was robbed, but I digress. Um, she really it, wasn't, it, though. I mean, she really was, but we can we can discuss this another time. Um, in, in I could all go, I ain't go toe-to-toe on this one. Like, uh, the, the winner <laughs> of season 10 was, was the best. I mean, um, the, truly, she was. But anyway, continue. Um, I mean, the, the real winner was the, um, Asia trying to get the butterflies to work and that didn't work. Yeah, but didn't anyway, work well. um, I, I do want to get into more serious shows as this has been going along, but it's just been so nice to like, just, yeah, it, it's such a positive show. It's such an upbeat show. And at times where it can get a little dark, it is the perfect show to flip on and just feel a little bit better about things. So RuPaul's Drag Race would be uh, my, like my MVP. One. You're going to enjoy – have you watched All-Stars? The, the All-Stars is outstanding. Um, no, haven't watched All-Stars yet. You should get it, You should get into the four se- – I think there's four or six seasons of All-Stars. And then uh, season 11 you'll like, the first Canadian. And there is a uh, – when you hear the Calgary Stampede reference, uh, you'll, you'll mark out as hard as I did on season 11. Uh, I, quite, okay. I, quite enjoy, uh, I quite enjoy RuPaul's Drag Race as well. Like, I think that these are some of the most talented human beings on the planet, what they're able to do and um, yeah. some of what they're able to turn a day of prep into the performances that they do. Like, th- these are some ridiculously talented human beings. Um, oh, and I quite, enjoyed, uh, I quite enjoyed season 11. You'll enjoy that one too. Uh, okay, gentlemen, that is another edition of Wild Card Wednesday. Nice work. This has been Wild Card Wednesday on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. A few of the texts, 960-960. Peak Patrick today, Lululemon and Tic Tacs. 
TikTok. But, okay. <laughs> yeah. At first, my only like at first, I thought TikTok was just the song by by Kesha, um, which was an absolute banger about a, eight nine years ago. Um, like I said, at first, like why is everybody talking about TikTok again? But then I realized what it was, and I'll never be on it. Like I just joined Instagram a week ago or two weeks ago. Instagram has been like the number one social media platform for the last decade, and I just joined it. Um, so, like TikTok, I'm gonna be a little, while, but I, I just don't have the creativity to be able to actually do anything on there. But I do enjoy watching it. Uh, boys, Eureka is in the top three of the worst queens ever. Such a pain in the ass. So whiny. Um, I, I thought I thought Eureka was talented. Uh, my favorite from that season was Cameron Michaels. Um, yep. But uh, like I, I enjoyed Eureka, but Aquaria was the best the best queen that year. Um, but you'll uh, season eleven. Um, you'll you'll quite enjoy um, the return of Miss Vanjie. Uh, I think that you'll become a big fan of hers in season eleven, Mister Klein, because uh, I, I, that's my favorite of all time. Um, okay. Somebody says Ozark has been my MVP. I had to take a fifteen-minute pause after each episode to recollect myself. There's no doubt about that. Biz nasty. Um, Paul Bissonette has uh, put a poll up about how. Uh, Ozark could end up being better when it's all said and done than Breaking Bad, which is an interesting wow. take. And I don't think it's all that far off. Uh, Silver and Black Jordan 5s are the best. Um, Jordan Ooh. 5s are nice. I would say that they'd definitely be in my top five. Um, and finally, OMG, please tell me Kleiner isn't the type to camp out at a footlocker at midnight to buy a new pair of Jordans. Uh, see... I haven't, but that's just because at, at no point in my life have I been able to afford a brand new pair of Jordans. So it, it just fiscally wouldn't have made a lot of sense. If I were um, financially well off enough to do that, I probably would end up doing that at some point. Yeah, just okay. just to do it once. Like it, it wouldn't be a must. It would just be like, yeah, let's just go for it. Why not? We, My brother and I about a decade ago were walking down Pine Street in Seattle and there is a shoe store like this is like you know very independent shoe store and from across the street my brother could see in through the window and then the back wall and he's like bro i think there's a pair of jordan ones over there i'm like how the hell can you see my my brother is a shoe uh like a shoe fiend he's like there's a pair of jordan ones over there i'm like how can you tell he's like just we need to go into the store okay so we go into the store and legit, there were a pair of black and gold Jordan ones, and Oof. he was like, "Well, I'm buying them. Got them for I think 140." Like I'm, I'm. Both of us are still not 100 percent sure if they're legit or knockoffs. But to find a pair of Jordan ones on a shelf in Seattle, that was one of the coolest finds um, I've ever seen. So yeah, I'm a big fan of Jordan ones. Uh, good stuff, gents. Take a break. Come back. Uh, still to come this hour, Brad Pascal, Calgary Flames assistant general manager. If you missed that conversation, a good one with him. Still to come this hour. It's Pinder and Steinberg on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Pinder and Steinberg continues on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Just a quick segment before we take a break and hear from Brad Pascal, Calgary Flames Assistant General Manager. He will uh, finish off the show for you at the top of the hour in conversation uh, with Ron McLean tonight. Penny Alexiak and Jamie Alexiak are his guests. Uh, it is a Wednesday. What do we have on tap tonight, boys? Anything special planned, Mr. Klein? Uh, tonight going to have a, a birthday call with my mom. It's her birthday today, so happy oh, birthday, Oh, happy mom. birthday, Ms. Cl- Mrs. Klein. Here's a round of applause. 
Uh, so yeah, gonna have a birthday chat with her, and then haven't watched the last couple episodes of The Last Dance yet, so doing that, and then having a, uh, Zoom chat with uh, a bunch of guys who I'm in a basketball chat with, we're gonna talk some Last Dance with those guys, so oh, pretty, nice. uh, pretty busy night. Okay. Logo? Uh, literally the opposite. I have, I have absolutely nothing planned. Uh, Logo will not please... be calling my mom. No. Never turn out <laughs> That's again, not, Logo. that's none of your business, but, um... <laughs> Yeah, he'll be calling your mom. <laughs> Hi, we're all in grade uh, grade eight. Um, yeah. I've got uh, shipped at the old grocery store at eight o'clock. Um, I think I, I've been watching this uh, this show on Netflix. Uh, it's only half an hour or so long. Um, it's to help me improve my French listening skills. Um, it's called Plan Cour, or uh, they've translated it. It's not a good translation, but it's called The Hookup Plan is the English title. It's a pretty funny uh, French uh, sitcom that I've been watching. It's all in French. So my, my um, after the, the grocery store, store shift is done, I'm usually home around 2.30. And uh, so then I'll watch something quickly before going to bed. And the, the, so I watch it with the French subtitles and with the French original audio. And so it, it helps you because I can read French pretty well these days. Um, I'm going on almost a year now. I'm at 265 days now. So I'm 100 days away from a year of studying. And so I'm, I'm able to read it pretty well. I can speak it okay, um, but listening and comprehending is is the the biggest area for me. So that's helped in a lot of ways. So that's that's my big plan nice. for tonight. I know really really important and, and interesting stuff. No, that's good. Um, you, you said you're getting pretty good at the front. I was going to talk to you about this off the air, but I mean, hey, while we're here, the the French has been going well, though. Yeah, it's been good. It's um, nice. It's been uh, it's been a good. Uh, been a good distraction i've been a lot of practice during quarantine i'll say that much you've been able to yeah. dive into it a little bit more when there's not an nhl season going on uh yeah, when we come I've, back uh, it I've, is oh sorry go ahead i'm just gonna say i've done the uh download a bunch of j-pop songs to listen to to help with the old japanese a little so bit. you're still you're worked... still practicing japanese hey oh yeah 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 good it's uh it's actually going okay uh the, the j-pop thing hasn't helped a lick because i don't understand most of it i pick out like 10 to 15 words uh but the songs are entertaining and catchy as hell so you know it works good for you i didn't know you were going to keep doing that after getting back from japan that's awesome uh so kleiner is still learning how to speak japanese which i think can you say anything quickly before we go to break that you haven't said before oh that i haven't said uh not real not that i mean is I speak English. Or no, do you speak English? Sorry. Um, and then is I speak English. That's impressive. Can you read it okay? It's to, I, I'm at the point where I can pick out a couple syllables in each word, and I'm pretty sure I know what that word is. Um, so it's, it, it's, it's a slow work in progress. That's good. I'm impressed, my friend. I'm impressed. It's a whole lot more difficult than learning a language with a lot of parallels like French and English have. So that's uh, that's very like at least we use the same alphabet and uh, a lot of the words are transferable, but not so much in Japanese. That is impressive. Uh, we'll take a break. When we come back, Brad Pascal, Calgary Flames assistant general manager from earlier today. It's Pinder and Steinberg on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Back to Pinder and Steinberg, Calgary Sports Talk in the Afternoon, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. 
Time to check in with Calgary Flames Assistant General Manager Brad Pascal, who joined us a little earlier today. Great stuff on his uh, road from Hockey Canada to Calgary Flames management, uh, how things are like right now, some great Hockey Canada memories as well. But uh, first, hey, look, he's an AGM on an NHL franchise. What does that look like in self-isolation and with no season going on? Here's Brad Pascal from earlier today. Yeah, well, you know what? It is... Uh... There's lots going on, and in saying that, it's it's a lot of planning. I, I mean, we're 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 planning for the unknown. So, um, you know, we talk about Zoom calls and WebEx calls. So we use WebEx, but you know, we're constantly on those for for a variety of reasons with our own staff, with our pro scouts, with our amateur scouts. Um, so, just give you a little bit of sense, we were on the phone for four hours with our amateur scouts and. And just doing draft preparation work and, and, you know, going through our lists and going through our evaluations. And they've been tasked since the pause of going through, reviewing, um, doing interviews with players, uh, gathering info, watching games online, uh, re-watching games that they've seen, and really just taking a deep dive into our list. So that, you know, that's keeping us busy. And, and you know, planning's the key, right? So it's NHL draft. There's going to be one. The question is, is when is it going to be? Is it going to be in June? Is it going to be later? Um, you know, lots of discussion is going to take place in June. We just don't know. There's so many unknowns in mm-hmm. the, the hockey world that's going on right now, and uh, and the draft's one of them. So, hey, a little bit of insight is planning is probably the biggest thing. Um, NHL draft, uh, NHL free agency, return to play for the NHL season. Uh, the fate of the American Hockey League season. So lots going on and, and uh, um, you know, looking to plan already 20, 2011 as well. So You kind of have to make sure that you're prepared for a little bit of everything, right? Like you have no idea what is going to happen on any of these fronts, AHL, draft, when the season's going to restart. You kind of have to, because you'll, you'll probably get word and then all of a sudden you got to be going uh, going down that road you kind of have to have things planned out on a, on a number of different branches i would think yeah for sure pat and that's you know the big thing for us is communication and, and um you know regular communication amongst our group management and hockey operations and coaches and but with our players as well players and our support staff you know it's, it's so many questions and so many unknowns but it's just that regular communication of any tidbits we have and making sure that that Everybody's still engaged, you know, from the player standpoint, still working out as as best they can. Obviously, they can't go skating and what have you right now, but you know, keeping in shape for a return to play and and keeping them motivated of of you know finishing the book of the season and and um, you know if if we get there, you know, it's, it's just having those preparations of you know the coaches looking at our game plan and how they might tweak things on the return to play. And, you know, if we went into a playoff format, who we might be playing and start watching those games and, and looking at strategy and, and those types of things. So we, that's what we've been spending our time on as a group is, is is trying to deal with the unknown, but, you know, knowing that there's going to be a semblance of order here eventually and, and making sure that we're the best prepared team in the NHL. What, because, uh, you know, you, the, the management group all comes together and, and works on the, the NHL team, but also has kind of some individual responsibilities. And, and over the last number of years, one of those large responsibilities for you has been the American League team in Stockton. So how how busy have, have goings on with the Heat been for you? What, what has that been like the last number of weeks? 
Well, you know, it's the AHL season is on a pause right now, and you know we we have another AHL board of directors call on Friday and maybe you know pro- provide a little bit more clarity on the direction that the league is going for the eighteen ninth or nineteen twenty season. Sorry, but hey, the day to day workings is no different than the NHL. It's it's you know regular communication with the coaches. They have weekly calls down there, and and they have calls with our NHL coaches of of exchanging ideas and and uh, some professional development almost in some ways, and uh, and the same thing, keeping in touch with the players and and just finding out what they're doing, making sure that they're staying healthy and and checking in on them and their families. So that, that's been a big part of it. Um, but again, you're dealing with the unknown, and you know we we we've done a few signings uh, down there. We signed three defensemen on American League deals for next mm-hmm. season. You know, an area of of uh, that we had needed to add some depth and you know that's that's something and looking at at free agents already potential free agents in the summertime for depth for the organization and american league contracts and and even some of our players that are up for contracts is starting to look at that and and you know formulate plans on it's funny you, you bring that up about the the depth that you've added defensively in Stockton. I mean, you take a look at the players that you've added in free agency, the two college free agent signings, including a uh, former fellow UND grad in, in Mr. Pullman. You've got uh, – uh, I know that um, Shinval isn't going to be coming over for next season, but there's another player you've added. You've added some players uh, on AHL-only deals in Stockton. Like That's going to be quite the competitive blue line you've got with the Heat next season season well for sure and if you hey if you just take a step back and even by adding these players like we still have some defensive depth holes to fill you know and uh you know so i don't like that that we've stopped of of filling spots quite honestly but it's it was an area of focus i mean organizationally you look we had to add to our reserve list in the position of defense we had some great young players that you know valamaki anderson shillington those players that have you know, graduated up, and you know, since uh, since Valimaki, we haven't drafted a defenseman, so we don't have a lot of defensemen coming mm-hmm. right now in the pipeline in that area. So, it was important for us to replenish our reserve list, if, if you will, in the way of Poolman and Connor Mackey and and Shinvall for, for uh, although they'll be back in Sweden as you mentioned, but for the following season, and then and then filling it with some some other defensive depth in the American League. Um, you know, it was important to us. So that was an area of focus for us. And, and you know, we're real happy bringing those players into the organization and have our development team uh, work closely with them and, and uh, hopefully develop them into NHL players and NHL regulars is the goal for, for any of these signings. I, the, I'm, I'm curious as to the, the process of going about an AHL-only deal because, you know, we're, we're so focused on, on – unrestricted free agency in the NHL and, and building that team, but you're also building an American League team. You added Greg Morrow, uh, Noah King, Coltrane Wilson, all to uh, AHL deals, and th- those are guys that you're expecting to you know, be big parts of the Heat next year. So tell us about identifying and going about the AHL signing route and, and how you go about identifying players that you think would be a good fit with the Flames organization and a good fit in Stockton. Yes, I mean, it's a task that we put out to our, our pro scouts, our amateur scouts, our European scouts, and, and our college scout. And then, you know, as a management group, as we're out watching players, 
watching the WHL or OHL or college hockey, you know, as part of it, you're looking for, hey, who's the top free agent? Who's the draft eligible guy? But, you know, in, in college in college players, who's the senior out there that's not drafted that might not be a top college free agent, meaning not an NHL contract, that we like? And players that we like that, you know, that can fill that defense or fill a, a um, an American League role, um, but more importantly, players that we think that can grow into uh, into NHL players. I mean, you look at uh, Ryan Lomberg, for instance. You know, players that we've done uh, Garnet Hathaway signed to American League deal, and then flip them over to NHL mm-hmm. deals. You know, these types of players that you know they're good players, and sometimes overlooked. Sometimes that are you know blossom in different situations in different organizations or in the pro game versus a college or junior game, and and. Uh, you know, so you try to project and you take a swing at the plate, quite honestly, of, of players that have um, that fit a certain need for you and uh, the players that our scouting staff or our management staff like. And, and uh, you know, there's players out there that can be NHL players and the list goes on and on. And those are just a couple of recent guys that, you know, have gone through our system that, that have turned out to play in the NHL. In conversation with Calgary Flames AGM Brad Pascal joining us on Pinder and Steinberg this afternoon, Mr. Klein. Uh, Brad, you guys, you, you talk about that there's a, an organizational need for defensemen that you guys fill with a few of these signings. Was it important to do some of these so that when you go into the draft, you're not necessarily looking at a big organizational hole and, and can just mainly focus on, on best player available, or are the two not really linked? Yeah, no, I Related from a draft standpoint, I mean, you know, we're always we're always going to look to add good players and players that we like. And and as I mentioned before, like you know, we're still looking to you know to, to discuss and fill you know spots in our blue line on the NHL and in the American League and, and organizational depth. And you know, right wings another one too. So you know, th- those conversations are are ongoing and and. Um, you know, as it as it pertains to the draft, I think we've proved it over the last number of years. Is is when our number comes up, we're, we're out to take the best player available, and in, in in our collective opinion, with our amateur scouts and our management group, and and uh, you know, you, you look at positional needs, but you, you look to take the best player. That's that's kind of been our mantra the last little while. Um, but you know, the reason of the timing of, of some of these signings that we did in the American League or even the shin ball or what have you is, you know, it's 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 either pressure that, that hey, you're one of fifteen teams that are that are in on it and the player's ready to make a decision. Um, you know, quite honestly that seems to be a lot of it. And uh, you know, or it's it's you know, why not now? If we like the player and we wanna dive into his, his development and start his development curve as soon as possible, even in the situation we're in it's uh, you know why wait and 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 continue that development or start that. As far as the draft is concerned, we don't know when it's going to be or what it's going to look like. We just know it's not going to be like anything we've seen, at least for a long time anyway. Uh, a couple leagues have already had drafts with the NFL and the, the CFL having drafts. Is there anything you can take from how teams have handled those and, and learn from those experiences? Well, we... we we watch those closely and uh, I mean, partially as fans and then partially as, uh, as you know, how's the NHL going to do this and how does this affect us? So we watch those closely. We've talked to a number of people, you know, case in point in the national or the NFL, we, you know, we, we have contacts with various teams in the management capacity and coach capacity that we've reached out and, 
and said, how was it? And what did you do? What would you do different? And, and just to get some feedback for our own preparation. And, and obviously that, you know, the, hey, as a league, the NHL is, is well-versed in, in those relationships and, and the inner workings of what happened and, and exchanging best practices. So, um, you know, it's it's an interest level too. It's like, hey, we've never done this before. Like, how are we going to do this? And how is it going to look? And if you're just a consumer watching on TV, how does it look? But for us, it's, if we're spread out across North America and Europe with all of our amateur scouts, you know, how does that's why I think, as I mentioned off the top, the preparation now of of doing the insight and getting our list tight um, and being ready to go is uh, is paramount right now. The, the draft has been a, a big time for player movement and a lot of wheeling and dealing as well. Um, that that could be a lot different with this year's draft, but without getting too much into specifics, I mean, unless you want to, um, how, how much are teams communicating with each other right now? Or is it just with your own squad figuring out how to get through one day to the next? Yeah, I mean, I, it, uh, quite honestly, we, you know, I, I talked to a lot of the assistant managers across the league and, uh, you know, a lot of it's just checking in how we're doing and, and what have you. Not, you know, at, at that level, there hasn't been a lot of discussion on, hey, you know, player moves and, and looking at contractual things. You know, Brad Shalevin is in, you know, at, at the general manager level and Don Maloney, I know he's had a lot of discussions with, with you know, various teams, but a lot of that is friendships and checking in and, and what have you. So, you know, everybody's in the same boat right now and, and you're just trying to figure out, hey, what, what does tomorrow bring and is there going to be new information that comes tomorrow? And that's, you know, other than being prepared and try to plan the best you can, that's, that's a lot of what the discussion is right now across the league. You've worn quite a few hats uh, in your career and one of them um, working with hockey Canada, this would be a, a big time with the world hockey championships and things of that nature going on. How, how do you think things are going with them with this situation right now? Cause this was a big time of year, obviously. Yeah, I talked to a few people there, and, you know, yeah, they, on the international stages, you know, it's the Olympic Games and the, and the World Championship and, you know, in the World Cup of Hockey. I mean, those, those are those are big events, and not only for Canadians, but for, you know, for other countries, especially the European Union and the European countries. So, yeah, I disappointed, but everybody's in the same boat, as I mentioned. I, I don't think there's any surprise that, that the IHF World Championship isn't happening this year or the, or the Women's World Championship you know, disappointing for those athletes as well. So it's, um, you know, I, I think it's, it's, it's not a surprise, as I mentioned. And, you know, I think they, they have to focus on, on what, what they can control and notice on them than us. And, um, you know, there's going to be a rebound and world championships are going to take place. NHL hockey is going to continue. You know, it's just, uh, it's just ensuring that, that the right things happen in the world right now. And, and uh, we're no different. Chat with Brad Pascal here on Sportsnet 960. The fan. I'm Peter Klein, and he's Pat Steinberg. Uh, Brad, it's, it's funny. Pete asked you about kind of the the many different hats you've worn since uh, transitioning into a management role. But like going on six years now since you've joined the Flames organization after a long stretch at Hockey Canada. Like it's pretty it's pretty amazing how time flies, hey? Yeah, definitely. It's it's. Uh... Yeah, six years. I know. I thought about that, and it, it's 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 been a great transition for me. I, I mean, it's it's six years, so it's not like it's six months ago. But um, you know, having the opportunity to to work with with Brad Trelevin hand in hand, and and 
Dawn and Craig and Chris and, and, and all of our staff. I mean, it's, it's been great. There's my first year or two to learning. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's different than, than planning Olympic games and working with an Olympic management group of, of the best players. You know, it's an ongoing process in the NHL and, you know, one that I've, that I've really enjoyed and, and, uh, getting to work with great people and, um, you know, we you're, you're building towards you know having a having a winning culture and a winning organization and ultimately winning a Stanley Cup. So, you know, we're going to continue that focus, and that's that's the thing that excites me the most is is uh, you know working towards that end goal and and day in and day out how we can get better. And and it's a little bit of a cliche, but that's that's literally you know when we have staff meetings every day with with Brad Sheldon, it's it's getting better. How do we get better? How do we get mm-hmm. better today or tomorrow? And, and that's, and that's, uh, you know, that's what it is. That's, that's the most exciting thing for me over these last six years and, and hopefully be at least another six uh, moving forward. Well, and, and for those who are not totally familiar with, with your background, you, you joined the Calgary flames in, in the summer of 2014 after a long stint at hockey Canada. So you, you were, you played UND and then you had your pro hockey career and, and played for a few different teams in the American league and the ECHL. And then, and then kind of made the decision to finish the career and transition into management. So when would that have been like when you finished your career in 95, but when did you decide that management was going to be the next step? Well, I, as a young guy, geez, we're talking about a long time ago now. But as a guy, you know, finishing playing pro hockey, hey, I, I always wanted to work in, in hockey. And I think, you know, most fans of hockey or hockey players, I mean, it'd be great to continue in the game and, and, and what have you. So, you know, I was fortunate to start working in Hockey Canada right after I was done and moved back to my home city of Vancouver and, and, you know, got a job with the Canucks and Hockey Canada and running development programs all across the province of British Columbia. And then from there, just, you know, eventually moved to Calgary where Hockey Canada's head office was and, and started a variety of roles in public relations, communications, and, and then on to hockey operations for the last, I guess, eight or nine years, I was at Hockey Canada and, and, uh, yeah, it was, it, I mean, it was a great transition for me. Not everybody can do it. Um, not that people aren't able, but just having that opportunity where things mm-hmm. line up and there's a position that fit that, you know, obviously that there was a marriage there and, uh, and that worked really well for me. And, um, yeah, number one to work in hockey and then, and then be, you know, working with high performance athletes and NHL players and working with the best of the best, you know, I got to work with Wayne Gretzky and Steve Eiserman and Kevin Lowe and, the list goes on and on of, of, you know, some great people to learn from along the way. And, uh, you know, I think that's, that gave me that extra experience and those relationships across the league with, with other management guys and coaches and agents and, and uh, you know, brings you to that level. Well, and, and it's because I, I, I first was introduced to you um, by, by Rob Kerr, and, and at the time you were doing media relations and PR for Hockey Canada. So at the time, I just knew you as the guy that uh, when Rob wants a guest, I'd, I'd fire you an email or give you a call and, and see if you could help us out. And, and so when you made the move to, 
uh, hockey operations with Hockey Canada, you know, I, I wasn't aware of your backstory, and that's when Rob filled me in. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, like he was doing PR and media relations, but this guy's got a huge hockey background, uh, which which I, I always found that part the, the most interesting side. Like you started doing hockey-related things and then moved into PR and media relations and then back into hockey ops. Tell us about tell us about that transition and, and how you were able to first make the jump into PR and then get back into hockey ops. Yeah, I mean it's it's uh, one hand in hand a little bit. It, it's you know back in the day when I was at Hockey, it was a smaller shop where we, you know, Bob Nicholson was the president, myself, and and you know our our staff was a lot smaller. So people wore you know a variety of hats and. You know, a lot of my time was spent in in day to day communications, but you know, the other seventy five percent was with national teams day in and day out, and so a lot of it just kind of blended together. Of you know, you were you were kind of a jack of all trades, not just myself, but everybody. Where you know, you were doing you know team services, communications, hockey operations, helping select teams, watching players, and. So a lot of it just blended all together, quite honestly. And then, you know, different uh, different opportunities arise and they look to expand and, and you know, all of a sudden your path changes a little bit towards, in my case, more towards hockey operations where, um, you know, it wasn't foreign to me by any means. And, and then, you know, something that I, I really enjoyed and, and ultimately would like to say that I've been excelling in for the last number of years as well with, with various experiences and, you know, the most important thing for me is, is winning and, um, you know, being a part of Olympic gold medal teams and, you know, five world junior championships and, you know, world hockey championships, world cups. I mean, being a part of that, working with great players and great staff, I mean, those, those experiences rub off on you and, and the people you meet and, and, uh, you know, anytime you can have winning on your resume, in my opinion, is a, is a strong suit. So something I'm real proud of and, and, uh, you know, continue to, to work towards the ultimate championship of Stanley Cup here with the Flames. So what was, because, I mean, that that's kind of the, the only thing missing from, from the Pascal resume. When you think, think of Olympic gold and world championship gold and uh, women's world championship gold and, and world junior gold, like, it, it was pretty... It was a pretty successful run at Hockey Canada, but you're doing it at all different levels, and you're like that's that's got to be like here you're you're working on AHL and NHL teams, but at that you're looking at under twenty, you're looking at World Championship, which is a different challenge than a true best on best like the Olympics. That 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 type of variety once you were working in hockey ops might have must have been must have been pretty uh, pretty invigorating. Yeah, no question. Yeah, it's it's it, it, like I said, the variety was always there with hockey. You know, and, and you know, whether we're, we're hosting events or we're working with different teams, literally, you'd be you know just closing the book on the Olympic Games in Vancouver, uh, gold medal, and ordering rings, and 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 then a month later, you're on the plane to to uh, you know the Czech Republic and building your team for the for the world world hockey championship you know so it's it, it it's it was uh it was something that was always on a continuum continuum and always on a on to the next thing and and, and uh you know keep having success and and, and that was uh, it was good it was good having that variety there was no question what uh so what was your first major international tournament that you were on the hockey ops side for uh, 
from well, my fir- my first gold medal with Hockey Canada was the 2002 Olympics in Salt Lake, and then from the hockey operations side, it was the World Junior Championship, and I believe that was in 2000 and I have to think here, 2007. Okay, it was a World Junior Championship. So I mean, from 2000, so, so like, think about some of the places that you got to be in the building for. Like, you you were there in 2010 for Crosby's Golden Goal and, and some of those incredible world junior memories. Like, you, you, you've been in the building for all of them. Fortunately, yes, it was good. And that's, I mean, at the end of the day, you're not, you're not shooting the puck in the goal and you're not on the, on the bench. But, you know, in that role, you're just trying to provide, hey, what's the best, environment for success at that point you could put the players in and uh and you know we felt we did a good job with that and and you know more importantly we felt that we had great players that you know and and great coaching staff that could take us to the finish line what was what was like can you think of one like most tense moment because you're right i mean you talk to gms agms around hockey it's like okay we put the team together and and we sign the players and we build the team but you know, at that point, especially once you get into the, the games that mean the most, it's kind of out of your hand. You just have to sit there and watch. You've got as much control as, as me or somebody listening does. So what do you, is, has there been a, a top tense moment where you're just like, holy cow, I, I can barely sit still here? Well, yeah, it's funny. You get, not to downplay, you get a little bit uh, not jaded, but you, you – you know, at at first I'd be bouncing off the walls with every play and living and dying by every play, and then you get you get desensitized a little bit, be, just just because it's so big. And you know, you look at the World Junior shootout where John and Matias scores three in a row. I mean, that's that was something else. And um, but probably the most was you know going into overtime in the Vancouver Olympic gold medal game. You know, I mean that was. Can't really get much more pressure than that in some ways, but you know, any time you're representing Canada, it's it's you're in a pressure environment, and and you know, a lot a lot of those teams. It's funny, it's you're thrilled to win, but at the end of the day, you know, if you ask the players and coaches and and me being involved in management, it's it's more of a relief. Uh, it's of course you're celebrating, you're excited, but you know, the expectations are to win everything and uh, um, and to win all the time. So. And quite honestly, a lot of it's a relief. You're, you're just, oh, thank goodness we won. And uh, not having to deal with the aftermath of not winning. And that's yeah. just part of being Canadian and part of, uh, you know, being in that environment. That's Calgary Flames Assistant General Manager Brad Pascal from earlier today joined us on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Uh, tough times right now, we know. That's why the bar and uh, the bar and the restaurant closed for patrons. But. They are open for business. Pick up delivery available right now by calling 403-248-3344. That's 248-3344. And I can tell you that. I can't, I can't tell you this. I can't give you too much information about it. We've got something pretty cool involving you coming up starting next week when it comes to Atlas Pizza. So looking forward to that. Stay tuned for details next week on that front. A little late, but that'll do it for the program. I want to thank all of our guests, Brad Pascal, Calgary Flames AGM, Corey Mace, Stan Peters D-Line Coach, and Jeff Snyder from Elevate lacrosse for joining us all those are up right now at sportsnet.ca slash 960 up next in conversation with ron mcclain and then at six o'clock tonight 
Calgary Flames, Boston Bruins from Feb 16th, 2015. Another outstanding comeback win for the Flames as part of their uh, Find Away Flames playoff season. That's coming up at 6 o'clock. For Logan Gordon and Peter Klein, my name is Pat Steinberg. We'll talk to you tomorrow. This has been Pinder and Steinberg on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Yeah. It's a little too okay. easy to say, oh, it's a good fit, sign him. It's what? too easy to say, Buffalo's a terrible market. Why would you want to live there? It's just as easy, man. So calm down. No, I'm just just saying, like, you're so, you're always, uh, Pinder's got to be right. Pinder's right. Pinder's right. No, no, no. Listen to me. Like, sometimes other people have opinions, man. Like I've asked you for your opinion. You gave it to me. I have no problem with your opinion. Just, this is what conversation is well. I'm not saying you're wrong. Here's why. Now you're giving lessons on conversation. This is good. (laughs)